my favorite question I've ever asked Lucas about Game of Thrones was I asked if Daenerys actually gave birth to the dragons. Like, <laughs> did they physically come out of her body? And I found out that, no, they didn't. It, so. it, it was, in fact, the most yeah. disappointing part of Game of Thrones, <laughs> that that is not the case. Also, she keeps pronouncing it Daenerys. <laughs> How do you say it? Daenerys. Just Daenerys. That's pretty close. You're, you're saying it like it's ancient Roman currency. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome. We are here talking about Avengers Endgame, which finally came out this week and made all the money in the world um, and continues to do so. Uh, but before we jump into that, let's introduce ourselves and tell each other, at what point during this movie did you go to the bathroom? <laughs> I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'll say the first time I saw it, I didn't go to the bathroom at all. I like <laughs> took care. The second nice. time I got a large soda and popcorn and went to the bathroom two different times. I'm Lucas Schreider, designer from Chicago, and I ended up not going to the bathroom at all. I was very careful basically all day not to drink. So it was a it was it was a terrible situation. But the three hour runtime is really a killer. And back with us a year later. Yes. Reoccurring on the episode, you are back-to-back guest for our Avengers episodes. Josh Tumblin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Josh, and I'm an actor in Seattle, Washington. And I stopped eating and drinking at noon, specifically <laughs> so there was no chance that nice. I would have to get up. That is fantastic. Um, well, before we get into Avengers Endgame stuff, um, we like to talk about something that we've either discovered or rediscovered, um, something that just kind of brings us joy throughout the week. Sandra, let's start with you. What are you feeling this week? I'm feeling two different new Netflix series that have a lot in common, which is why I'm bringing them both up. Um, they were both, as far as I'm aware, started out as like sort of web series at, at different media companies that eventually Netflix just bought to, to stream on their service instead. Um, so they have these short run times and these short episode lengths that feel more like a web series, like I said, than a TV series. But I think they're both very special. They're called, the first one is called Bonding. It is about a gay man living in New York who reconnects with his like high school best friend who happens to be a dominatrix and she wants to hire him as her assistant. So it's him like learning the world of BDSM and them rebuilding their friendship together. Um, the second one is called Special, and it's about a gay man living in L.A. who has cerebral palsy and is starting an internship at a new, like, website where he's meeting a bunch of people who um, know there's, like, he, that his, that he's disabled but don't know that he has cerebral palsy. And that kind of plays into the plot of the show. And these shows are both really, really fun and interesting. Um like I said, they're very short. The episode lengths range from about 15 to 20 minutes each. And there's about six or seven episodes in each of these first seasons. Um, so it's really easy to watch all of them very quickly. And um, 
because of that, I think when you have like a show that's that short, you can be very niche like these shows are. And I think that's something that is, is exciting for me about Netflix and Netflix like acquiring all this different content from lots of different places. Um, I really like the point of view that these shows have. I think some at some points the writing kind of shows um, the the web series niche of it at all. Like there's certain moments where the writing, I don't think fully lives up to like the quality that I love, but I think the acting is really lovely in all of these. And I'm a big fan of the lead actor and bonding. His name is Brendan Scannell. He's a comedian that I adore and he's really, really charming in the show. Um, I also think the subject matter of both of them is really fun and interesting. And they both have depictions of, sex work in a way that I think is really modern and open-minded and positive. And so, um, yeah, these are two shows that I really hope people will check out. Have either of you taken a look at them? I have not. I haven't even heard of either of them. Oh, you need to log on to your Netflix, Josh. You'll, you'll see Truly, it right there. If Mon- you just open Netflix, it's gonna be there. Netflix. Nothing I've watched lines up with any of this, but it's just the first thing on my Netflix queue. <laughs> It's funny because this is like very much along the lines of stuff I watch, but Netflix is just constantly recommending Great British Bake Off to me. <sighs> I think it has our personalities switched for some oh. reason. Oh, so. they, they switched the algorithm. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never get Great British Bake Off, but if for some reason I'm getting special and bondage. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so. Yeah. One thing, another thing I want to call out is... And special, it also deals with the relationship that this main character, who's like a 20-something gay disabled man, and his relationship with his mother, who has kind of been his mother and caretaker and kind of best friend for most of his life, and what that relationship looks like when they when he starts to kind of try to grow apart from her. And that, I think, is really well handled and very touching and the actress that plays his mom in this show i think is a really really it's giving a really great performance so that's worth checking out for all right that's bondage and special no two different shows nope. both on netflix nope, nope. bonding nope. bonding yes bonding <laughs> bonding and special <laughs> got it not so two different shows <laughs> both right. on netflix no a, a little bit more like a pg of a name all righty then uh, Josh, what are you feeling this week? Uh, I'm feeling an album by Open Mike Eagle called What Happens When I Try to Relax. It's a really short EP, and it's not new, I guess, but I- I've been listening to it constantly for six months, so <laughs> it's just still on my mind. It's really nice. fabulous. I-, I-, I don't know if either of you are familiar with Open Mike Eagle as an artist. No, give me a genre that I should be considering. <laughs> Art rap. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's he's really good. He like. He raps a lot about pop culture and anxiety and like the idea of fame and like that kind of thing. And it's it's really good. Um, he released an album in 2017 called uh, "Brick Body Kids Still Daydream" that won like a bunch of awards and got written up really well in Complex and Rolling Stone. Um, I have listened to that. I did not know that that was yeah. that this was him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So cool. so he released an EP, um, and the the lead track on it is one of my favorite songs ever called Relatable. When I get nervous, say something relatable. I'm hella relatable. 
relatable. That's hella legit and not really debatable. I live in your neighborhood and I'm so political, hella political. I'm super political. I live in the hood and my city gets difficult because they treat us like criminals. Let's set up an interview. How'd you get into you? You such an original. I know because I judge other people. I'm cynical. I'm kind of uncomfortable. I hate when I'm late because I try- It's very much a, that song is about how you know, he tries to change his persona to fit in in a world that he doesn't feel like a part of. I've listened to his stuff before. I haven't listened to this EP. I'm definitely excited to to check it out. I think it's really interesting. I feel like we're in this phase now where people people are singing and rapping about issues that uh, wouldn't normally get sung and rapped about. We're, we're, we're kind of in that, that movement right now that's kind of shifting the way people are talking about um, their personalities, their anxiety, their disorders, like that kind of stuff, which before it's just like people would talk about they were sad. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting to see how different artists are kind of approaching that. Definitely. All right. This week, I am feeling a new movie directed by Olivia Wilde called Booksmart. Um, this stars uh, Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein. Um, this movie is great. It's fantastic. Um, I went into it. I, I'm, I'm not a teen, co- teen comedy person. Usually it's about entitled uh, white teenagers and it, they just get annoying um, and they get away with a lot. And it's just I, it's, it's just not my alley. I loved this movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but I would say this is a movie that people are going to be talking about, like they're going to be talking about the like they talk about the Breakfast Club. Um, it is the teen movie I think of this generation, this young generation who's graduating high school now. Put it out there right now. It is fantastic. I'm so unbelievably excited for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, I think, really, really, really does a good job of showing what female friendship is like um and like it's it's truly amazing just how close these two girls seem and i'm one of the things that they talked about was that they ended up living together for like months before filming this and then just became best friends um and so and that kind of influenced the script and the and the shooting and stuff like that um but it's 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 truly great and also i i have to call out billy lord who is uh carrie fisher's daughter um, this is her first real movie. She was in the last two Star Wars and is like a background character. Um, but this is her to first be on the TV show, um, Screen Queens. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, now I want to watch Screen. Sc- She's an American Screen... Horror Story. I don't know that you need to Queens. watch Screen Queens. Uh, let me say that out. Oh, really? It's okay. like a Ryan Murphy like show oh, yeah i'm not gonna like it. Um, yeah. Anyway, Billy Lord is great. That she is absolutely hilarious in this um i get the whole time i was just like i don't know who this girl is but she's awesome and then i looked it up afterwards and it was billy lord so yeah i'm like i said so excited uh lucas you never ended up watching the movie never going back did you the one that i i didn't i did not no but um this the trailer that i've seen for Booksmart seems like a similar friendship dynamic but like on the opposite end of the behavior spectrum where like never going back is about two teen girls that are like really like so close but they get into all sorts of trouble these two girls seem like you know goody two shoes who are so close that are like looking for trouble um and i really am excited to see kind of like the the reverse situation in this movie and mm-hmm. it's a genre i'm really excited about and this seems like a really great entry into it so i it can't seems wait. right up your alley and yeah. again this is not a movie this is not a genre or anything that i would normally i think like it's just done so well and 
um, just so much care and everything is put into it that it really feels intentionally um, lifelike. It doesn't feel like anybody's pushing anything in you know specific directions for the plot or to be funny or anything like that. It just feels very natural. It's awesome. So Lucas, you saying that like teen movies are not usually up your alley. Ugh, teenagers a- are the worst. <laughs> See, and I think teenagers are the best. And I like <laughs> volunteer with teenagers. I love teenagers. I just think it's a, a beautiful age. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> so, but there's a thing going around Twitter right now where people are listing out their best teen films. Um, films that I depict that. teenagers. So yes. even though you're not super fan of this genre, do you have some that immediately come to mind? I mean, The Breakfast Club is up there. Absolutely. Um, I would say Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I would say Book Smart would definitely be up there. Uh, Rushmore. Those are probably my best teenage film gotcha. films. Josh, do you yeah. have some that immediately come to mind? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I would trust anyone who doesn't say Breakfast Club. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really, I think Boyhood is up there for me, although I don't know, I guess. I don't know if I'd call that a teenage movie, although a lot of it takes place. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know. I, I think I, for me, like teenage and coming of age are, are too mm. similar, I think, for me to, yeah. I don't know. I think the definition can be pretty fluid. For me, a teen movie takes place in high school, like primarily, because like some people were saying eighth grade, but to me, eighth grade, even though they are technically teenagers, that doesn't feel yeah. like a teen movie because they're not in high school yet. Same. Um, and so for me, it's it's high schoolers and it's about multiple teenagers versus just one teenager. For oh, me, so it's like rules. And, th- and that's my personal definition. <laughs> <laughs> some rules lucas um that's my personal definition for it um breakfast club of course for me 10 things i hate about you i think is right at the top Mm, Um, that's a good one the bling ring i think is a really great movie that's it's about more than being a teenager but it's also about being a teenager okay i i I figured out i've been sitting here this whole time trying to think of teen movies that i like and i couldn't think of any (laughs) the spectacular now that's oh. that's the one. I did like that movie. Although yeah. I guess that is also mostly about Miles Teller, but no, but it's also about Shailene Woodley and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Aren't they in uh, the the cancer one again? Like the no, that's Ansel Elgort and Shailene Woodley. Oh. Well, she's, Ansel yeah, okay. Elgort and Miles Teller are very similar. That very much. They're so. very yeah. interchangeable, attractive young. Both of them went were up for solo, like. They were neck and neck. Oh, I'm so glad Miles Teller wasn't Han Solo. <laughs> I'm glad neither of them were Han Solo. I wish no one had been Han Solo. All right, <laughs> moving on. Um, speaking of summer movies, like Solo. Yes. Um, the Summer Movie Wager is put on by the Slash Film cast every year. It is a, um, I would say it's a bet with no winnings at all, um, other than fame and glory, I guess. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. The Summer Movie Wager has like a whole point system built in. So your goal is to list all the top 10 movies of the summer by box office in the closest to the correct order. So, and the points are based on how close you get to that exact order. That is correct. So last year we all competed in it. Do y'all want to know what, how, what the winnings ended up being, how many points we each got. I, yes, I, I would love to know. I remember enough to know that I don't want to know. <laughs> well, too bad. Where Lucas was the best of the three of us with 67 points. Um, mm-hmm. He was the winner of our group. And then 
I came in in second place with 64. I was right there behind you. And then Josh, yeah, you were tailing at the end with 61. But I think all of us did fairly well, you know? That's a lot closer than I remember it being. Yeah, yeah, same. (laughs) Yes, and so we have all picked out our our list for this coming year. Do we want to kind of talk about why we picked what we picked and what order we put them in? I think for the most part, we have a lot of the same movies there. We're just kind of have some differential in in uh, what order they're in but do we want to run through it real quick i can sure i can well i can say point out some of the major differences in our list okay um yeah i will say that like josh and i both have rocket man in our list which not everyone does um lucas you have it as a dark horse i can see yeah yeah i rocket man is my most risky pick i think of my listing I'm really holding out hope that the buzz from Bohemian Rhapsody will continue into people being excited about Rocket Man, which looks like it's actually a quality film from what I can tell versus mm. Bohemian Rhapsody. But that never makes any money. So <laughs> you, you never I, will know. Say, I will say that Rocket Man being on my list has nothing to do with how I feel Rocket Man will do and everything to do with how poorly I think the things under it will do. <laughs> The other main difference is that Lucas has included uh, Men in Black International on his list, whereas Josh and I have both put it in our Dark Horses. That's the one where I'm, I really don't, it could go either way. I don't think, I I really want to know what y'all think. I don't think Men in Black International looks very good. Do y'all, what are y'all? What are y'all's feelings on it? I don't think it has anything to do with the quality no, of it. No, I know. It. I just, think it has I'm to do with conversation. You know, I just want to. Well, uh, I literally <laughs> just want to know. <laughs> listen, listen. I don't. I it, it it looks like fun. It looks like fun, and that I think is all people care about. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be good. I don't think any of the Men in Black movies have been like great movies. But you got Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth back again after their box office success of Endgame. Um, I think that money rolls rolls right over. Possibly. I just, like I said, even though I know it's not always that good movies are the ones that make it to the top, the Men in Black trailer just doesn't, I just don't think it's a very exciting trailer, even regardless of whether the quality of the film is. And I put a lot of emphasis on how good these trailers are at getting people to the theater. Um, so See, that's I think the trailer looks like fun. I don't think it'll be good, but I think it looks like fun. Hmm, okay. I don't think people who would go to see a Men in Black movie ever expect good you know i i I mostly i mostly think that like men in black is a fun franchise that's done historically fairly well and tessa thompson rules so yep can't argue with that yeah um lucas i also want to talk a little bit of trash on one of your one of your dark horse picks even though i dark horse pick you can't talk trash on a dark horse pick it's a dark horse pick you can and even though I'm incredibly excited for it, the idea that yesterday is going to be anywhere near the top 10, I think is crazy. Listen, the Beatles make a lot of money. Yeah, they do. but this is like a Danny Boyle, <laughs> Richard Curtis rom-com. Like, this isn't going to be, this isn't the same thing as Bohemian Rhapsody or like Rocket Man. I think this is, I think this is going to be a great movie and I think it's going to make a good amount of money, but I don't think it's going to like near the top 10. You know how much Slumdog and, Millionaire made? How much money did Slumdog Millionaire make? Slumdog Millionaire made a lot of money. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think it made that much, and it was an Oscar season, not the summer. Mmm, mm, but this one's gonna be fun. This is like f- a fun Danny Boyle film. 
Let's which see people are just really standing know. in line for. I just can't no, imagine I... it doing more money than Dark Phoenix or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Listen, guys. Listen, neither guys. of which Yesterday, is on your list. Yes, yeah, neither of which. Slumdog <laughs> made 141 million again in the winter. Here's the thing. That's the whole point of having a dark horse. Made. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> Um, the whole point of having a dark horse is something that you're like, this probably won't, but it could. Yeah, that's how I approach it. And I think yesterday could come out of nowhere. I've, I think everybody I know who has seen this trailer is pumped about it. Yeah. Um, I will say, do we have any? We've all submitted these lists, and we can't change them. Is there anything that now that we've had a few days to think about it and see everybody else's picks, if you could change anything? What would you change? Need nothing? Y'all are perfectly I happy? Don't, I don't think I would change anything. I might move the Lion King up, but that was... You that have was the Lion a... King as your number four pick, Josh? Yeah. Under Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, I think that's a big mistake. It's more. It's <laughs> honestly more of a protest against that movie existing than anything else. I just, as a professional actor, I just want to point out that lions can't <laughs> smile. So the fact that we're no. using real ones to portray a story is... Ridiculous. I 100% agree. Those trailers are not good. They are not nope. good. Nope. And I don't think we... The Lion King is going to be good. I think it'll make a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, there is a, a thread on the Summer Movie Wagers Twitter account where an elementary school teacher kind of did this informal poll of his class of like what movies they, they were excited for. And he said like they went wild for Lion King. Like every single one of them was jazzed about it. Um, Good thing children don't buy tickets. Yeah, but they I think they have a big impact. Um, the, the, Lucas, would you change anything about your list? Right now I have Godzilla at number 10 and uh, Men in Black at number 9. I might switch those Yeah. Um, if I could. We'll see. I just don't think people are super pumped for Godzilla. Yeah, uh, I'm not. Especially after a that. mediocre first one. I'm super so. pumped about Godzilla. I mean, I am. I'm going to have a lot of fun watching it. <laughs> but I think the country as a whole... No, you're right. <laughs> ...isn't clamoring for a Godzilla 2. This movie isn't exciting for me. Yeah, so I have it at number nine on my list. Um, this movie is going to be a lot funnier and a lot more fun than I think most people imagine. And I'm here for it. I mean, I hope it is good. Um, the one trailer that I saw before my screening that did have me really pumped up was a new Hobbs and Shaw trailer. And that's the one thing that I would change about my list, if I could, is that right now I have Hobbs and Shaw at number eight for the summer. And if I could, I would switch that with my number seven pick, which is Aladdin. Um, I think this movie is going to do great. It looks really, really exciting. I'm so excited about Hobbs and Shaw. I haven't watched any of the trailers. I'm, I'm specifically trying to avoid them, which sounds funny because it's not the kind of movie that it's like, oh, no spoilers for Fast and the Furious. Right. <laughs> but um, I, I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, and Roman Reigns has a role in the movie. And like as a big fan of him as a person, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to know what he's doing in it before it happens. So specifically for him is the reason you're not watching trailers. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, get ready. All right. So before we like move on, I do want to know what now that like Endgame is out of the picture, what movie are y'all the most excited to see this summer? I don't think there's ever been a year that that question is this hard to answer for me. Because there's a lot you're excited about. I wrote down all the movies I'm excited about 
in anticipation of this question, and I've still got 13. <laughs> 13? Oh, man. That are equally excited, that you're equally excited for. I don't, I'm probably not equally excited, but more excited than I can remember being about a summer movie in a long time. Yeah. Well, this is a know, good year. Endgame yeah. and Infinity War notwithstanding. Right. Yeah. Lucas, do you have an answer? I think for me, it is Hobbs and Shaw. I think I absolutely love the Fast and Furious franchise um, and just seeing a spinoff for one and just seeing kind of what this craziness ends up being um, is going to be so much fun. I've, I think, narrowed it down to two. Um, Booksmart, I think, is is one of them. I'm so it's you know just kind of a perfect movie for me. I'm very excited mm-hmm. for Booksmart. And then the other one is Yesterday. I'm a huge Richard Curtis fan, and so anything new from him yes. is going to be right up there on my list. It's going to be great. I'm so pumped. I think if I can narrow it down to two for me, it would be Detective Pikachu, which, despite all odds, I think is going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm hearing great things about it so far. I'm so excited about it. Um, and Child's Play, which I actually hated the idea of until the most recent trailer I saw, which was fabulous. So I'm not mm. familiar with this. This is a It's the Chucky new Chucky movie. movie. Okay, we do, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Josh, I don't know if you know this, but Lucas and I do not watch any horror films, so. Never. Well, well let me tell you how great this Child's Play remake is, because <laughs> we keep remaking horror movies for no reason. Um, and True. for every It, which is fabulous, there's like, 1300 really bad one um but child's play takes this like very simple like haunted child's doll like the ghost of a serial killer and then it goes but it's 2019 and everyone is a smart device so like he's like wi-fi enabled and that's oh my so much better it's like a reason <laughs> to make a new version of it i don't know i'm, I'm really sure. pumped about it i think it's gonna be goofy and fun and mark hamill is playing the doll and that's all i needed well i think that is a great sign okay well Let's finally talk about Avengers Endgame. We're in the Endgame now. Before we're done, we still have one promise to keep. If we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn sure we'll avenge it. Whatever it takes. So, Avengers Endgame, the 22nd movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Guys, just real quick, let's talk about kind of what your history is with Marvel, um, what your history is with these movies, and then just we'll just give first impressions about this movie before we dive into the extremely spoilerific <laughs> section of this podcast. Can't wait. Um, so, before Endgame, I decided to do a rewatch of all of the Marvel movies. Did either of y'all do anything similar? I did a, I did an Avengers rewatch. So, I did uh, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Infinity War. Josh, did you uh, do any, re- any rewatching? I'm, I'm an insane person. So, <laughs> I rewatched everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including all the TV shows, in chronological order in the order that it happens in the universe, not release order. That's incredible. So like half an episode, uh, half a season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then a movie, then the rest of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I like rid myself of the TV shows a long time ago. I I don't really commit myself to any of the Marvel shows yet, or anymore, I should say. But yeah, I I rewatched all the films with the exception of The Incredible Hulk, which I just don't 
consider a film because I've never seen it and I have no desire to. <laughs> um, it so, kills me that you rewatched Iron Man 2 and Thor 2, but not Incredible Hulk. That's crazy to hear you say because I've done a rank after now that I've rewatched all of them in like a recent time span, I like ranked all the Marvel movies in my like taste levels and how much I would want to watch them again. Do y'all have any similar rankings of like what your favorite is? I mean, yeah, I know what my I mean, I know what my favorites are. Oh. I don't think I've ranked them in years, but I know, I know what my favorites are. I I did my ranking and hearing you say that about Thor 2 is funny because Thor 2 is high up on my ranking. Uh, my I'm going to I'm going to list mine out. Number 1, Iron Man 3. Oh my god, thank you. What? Yeah. Yes, Iron Man 3 is like the best. No, I love Iron Man 3, but number 1 out of all of the movies? Yeah. Yeah, Iron Man wow. 3. And a lot of this is based on how good is it as a single film and also yeah. like how much would I want to rewatch it? You know what I mean? So like for instance, Infinity War is a little bit lower on my list, not because I think it's bad, but because like I I'm not going to be as in the mood to rewatch Infinity War. Um mm-hmm. so Iron Man 3 is number 1, Captain America Winter Soldier is number 2, Captain America Civil War is number 3. Number four is Spider-Man Homecoming. Number five is Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, This is going to spoil sort of my first impressions of the movie. Number six is Endgame. Number seven is Avengers. Eight is Age of Ultron. Nine is Thor the Dark World. Ten is Guardians 2. Eleven is Iron Man. Twelve is Thor Ragnarok. Thirteen is Infinity War. Fourteen is Captain America the First Avenger. 15 is Thor, 16 is Iron Man 2, 17 is Ant-Man and the Wasp, 18 is Ant-Man, 19 is Captain Marvel, 20 is Black Panther, 21 is Doctor Strange, and then 22, I guess, would be the Incredible Hulk. And so... I am shocked. Which one? What what shocks you? Black Panther, for one. Yeah. I know. Um, That kind of surprised me, but re-watching it, I was just very bored during the rewatch and i have no idea how you were bored during black i don't think black panther is bad i just don't think i like i'm i was just more excited during all the others um i it just i i it felt very much like rewatching this isn't exciting for me got it i know but and doctor strange is i've said this before doctor strange is the only one that i actively think like i don't like this movie this movie frustrates me i haven't rewatched it so yeah i would have to I have to take a look. I will say on a rewatch, I think I liked it more than the first time I saw it, but I still think it has like a ton of problems. <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot believe that Thor 2 is your favorite Thor movie. It's guys, rewatching it was so fun. I really, really enjoyed it. I think there's so much special stuff that happens in Thor 2. Um, yeah, I'll talk more about it, but like, I think Thor 2 is a special movie. What are y'all's top like few that, that come off the top of your head? I I never include like I think Infinity War and Endgame are beside the picture to me. That I don't makes sense. think there's any way to rate them with the others because I think anything else if is fairly acceptable as a standalone film. Those two don't just don't work at all. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, but my probably like my favorites are they're actually pretty similar to yours in no particular order like iron man 3 i love spider-man homecoming the original guardians um probably ant-man is up there fifth one is always hard 
but it's probably back black panther yeah my my top five are probably again in no order um uh, winter soldier ragnarok iron man the original iron man black panther and Guardians of the Galaxy. Ragnarok's so good. See, this is why I don't right. do this anymore. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I I am just dumbfounded, Sandra, that you... <laughs> about your ranking. So I'm just going to not trust anything you say for the rest of this oh. uh, episode. You... That's where I <laughs> do my best work. I'm having this yeah. weird experience where I agree with almost everything on your list, and then there's two movies that just don't belong where you put them. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's like you took my list and then you were like, I'll switch these two. That'll <laughs> fuck Josh up. <laughs> like <Yeah>. I said, <laughs> with Thor 2, I just think there's so much special stuff in it that people that gets overlooked. And I think Thor Ragnarok is like re- a really fun movie, but I also think it gets rid of a lot of the stuff that I particularly like about Thor and like the Asgard universe. Um and so, it got rid of the worst parts yeah, about Thor. What? It got rid of the Asgard universe, if you look at it in a certain <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It really, really did. Um, yeah, and, and Thor, I think the relationship between, like, Loki and Thor is, like, a really tested in Thor 2. And that's, like, I think the most, my favorite part of the whole, st- of their whole story is the relationship between the two of them. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a really great piece of storytelling. Are there any other, are there any things like leading into while you were doing your rewatches that like were getting you pumped up about Endgame or that you were hoping to see in Endgame or things that were, you know, you were that were near and dear to your heart? I think I was surprised by how, how much Thanos affected Tony Stark mm-hmm. in the first Avengers when space <laughs> gets kind of. And when space enters the equation for Tony Stark, mm-hmm. um, I think that really kind of messes with his head. And from then on out, he's just like, the, you know, we're not safe. Like, this isn't something we can control. We need, and, uh, you know, Ultron really gets into that of him just wanting to, you know, to save everything. But I think it's it's throughout the it's throughout the, the series. Um, and I was just surprised by that on the rewatch of just how much that affects him. Because I really think of, um, of Thanos as just kind of a, uh, an end credits villain for for most of the series, <laughs> but but he really is kind of uh, a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I found myself during these movies knowing like what we were heading into, like really trying to map out all of the Infinity Stones. Like I watched some of the movies a little bit out of order because I wanted to make sure I saw all the movies where like the Infinity Stones played a major part in it, which is also mm-hmm. kind of you know part of the story of um, Thor too. And so that was like watching those all these films together. I was I found myself like making notes and tracking like, okay, the this stone was here on this planet and then it moved to this planet and then these people had it and trying to track all the paths they took to Thanos's gauntlet in Infinity War. Um, and so that was very nerdy and fun thing, a nerdy For and sure. fun exercise to do. I, I found I found myself really focusing on uh, specifically the relationship between Steve and Tony. Um, which is like, cause, you know, in the, in the comics and to an extent in the universe, too, it's like always been the trio, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. Those are the big three, mm. um, uh, like the, the main of main main Avengers. Um, and but specifically, the relationship between Steve and Tony has always been kind of the focal point between like what's happening and tension within the group and that kind of thing. And I found it really fascinating to watch that relationship grow and crumble and do all of its stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm right there with you. I think especially like 
in the Avengers movies specifically, um, seeing how not just like Steve and Tony, but how like them as a team all connect to one another and like grow and fall apart and come back together and different pairings come back together. That was one thing to like track all of that and know where they're ending up in, in at the end of Infinity War was really exciting to like witness. Yeah. Are we ready All to right. talk about Endgame? Are we emotionally prepared? I mean, probably not, but... <laughs> I'll start off. I will say I thought Endgame was spectacular. I was blown away by how emotional they let the movie be. I I loved that... It To me, it felt like it was not... I, they hyped it up as the end of a, like a whole saga and kind and a part of me before this seeing it th- thinks that's just like marketing and it really is just a sequel to infinity war but it actually really was an end to this entire before this one 21 movie saga um almost every single film had some sort of like tie in or representation in a meaningful way. And that was so impressive and having rewatched them all very, um, very close to this movie, it made it even more rewarding to like see all of those callbacks and moments reflected in Endgame. I was really emotionally dialed in. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think the acting is fantastic. I think the writing is really great in certain parts of it. I have two, one small criticism, actually two small criticisms that we can talk about in spoilers. But other than those two minor things, I'm, it's like an A plus for me. I think it's amazing. For me, I could not separate how much I like this movie from how impressed I am that they actually made this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is just it's 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 an achievement just the amount of work and the amount of time and um Strategizing. everything that went into this yes it is from a storytelling level it is so impressive just everything that they have to do with this movie <laughs> um i i i think one of the things that i wasn't sure about was originally they kind of um they announced this as avengers part or avengers part 3 and 4 what is it no avengers infinity war part 1 and 2 um and then they kind of later separated them into really two movies. But this is one movie is really what it feels like. I'm excited to watch that, watch it kind of as one movie in the future. Just Infinity War right back to back with um, with Endgame, um, just to kind of see how that flows because it was because yeah. it was written and shot that way. So I'm I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Um, I love that it's three hours long. <laughs> I normally wouldn't say that about a movie, but um, the amount of time that you actually get to spend with all of these characters and the amount of time that they actually um, allow you to, um, you know, just sit in different scenarios where I feel like most most of these movies, you're just running at a breakneck pace the entire time. Uh, tr- they're trying to cram it all in, whereas this one, they're like, we're going to let it run. We're just going to let this happen. <laughs> um, and I thought I thought that was fantastic. Josh, what about you? Yeah, I feel very similarly. I, I mean, I I adored this movie i had more fun than i've had in a movie in forever i think the idea that you know you can take one movie that john favreau made in 2008 and then kevin feige can take that and turn it into this kind of spanning epic over more than a decade and 22 movies is that how many we're at now yeah that's crazy to me and i can't imagine 
something like this ever happening again. Does that make sense? I just, yeah, it, 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 totally. the scope of it is insane. And where they go from, it's almost, they've almost done themselves a disservice <laughs> by doing such yeah. a good job at this of like, <laughs> well, great. So what's 2030 going to be like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, also just the amount of character, like, and this this kind of goes with with uh, Infinity War as well, but just the amount of characters that you have in this universe, um, and kind of everything that you have to do to, you know, bring them to life is all of the homework that was done in all of these other movies. So now you have this massive playground to play with <laughs> in the in these last two movies, um, and they do it. They do a great job of it. I f- I don't feel like I don't feel like they I don't f- I don't feel like anybody is being untrue to their character which I feel like is difficult with a movie of this size. I feel like sometimes you would, you would have to like shoehorn people into places. Um, and they really let it flow from a character perspective. I think I have a lot of, um, issues maybe with the plot itself. Um, and just kind of how things, you know, ended up working in this movie. But, um, I, I liked this movie a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. It's interesting what you say about everyone behaving like themselves, because that's a really common criticism of this kind of crossover event in the comics, like Mm -hmm. the source material of like, yeah. uh, For example, like the civil war comic book series was, is a really fabulous piece of narrative, but it was written by a guy who'd never written Iron Man before. So now Iron Man doesn't behave like he does in his own comic book. And that happens so often. And for them to be able to skirt that issue here is really fabulous. Yeah. I think that's, what's really great about having, I want to say Marcus and McFeely. Yeah, Marcus and McFeely. Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. um, Writing this movie, they wrote, they've written all the Captain America movies um, and some other ones. (laughs) They wrote Thor The Dark World and they did a polish on Guardians. Guardians, okay, yeah. Yeah, so they've been in this, you know, the Marvel machine for a while and I feel like that really shows in Infinity War in this movie just because you have Again, you have them knowing these characters and kind of really doing a good job of kind of working that in. Oh, they also wrote Agent Carter, which was a really excellent TV yes. show that died yes, way too soon. Hmm. Yep. Um, here, here's one thing I want to say before we go into spoilers. Like you mentioned earlier, Lucas, uh, for me, these three hours flew by. This didn't in the theater for me. It did not feel like a long movie um, be- yeah, because same. I was so engaged. Agreed. I I especially remember us talking about Lucas, we reviewed the director's cut of Batman V Superman, um, <laughs> Dawn of justice. And I'm, I remember both of us talking about our reactions to that movie and how I liked it, but we acknowledged that this was a director's cut that was over three hours long and not the cut that the theaters had. And I remember you and I, Lucas very specifically saying like, you know, if you're making a blockbuster and you can't edit it down below three hours, like you're not a good storyteller. And obviously there are yep. exceptions, but like generally, like part of being a good storyteller is editing down your story. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the few exceptions to that rule where I don't think that this needed to be edited down. I think that because it had 21 films leading up to it, the length was really well-deserved. I a hundred percent agree. I, yeah, I completely stand by that is like, if you cannot tell your story succinctly, um, then you're not good at storytelling. And this is, 
this is them telling it succinctly. Like this is them getting fitting so much story into only three hours. Right. <laughs> so it's it truly is oppressive. It's all about knowing specifically how long your movie needs to be. Mm-hmm. Because like, yeah, man, I, I didn't watch the director's cut of Batman vs Superman, but it felt like it was eight hours long. Just the <laughs> regular version. It is rough. Are we ready to move to spoilers? I am. Are y'all? Yeah. I don't know who's listening to this who hasn't seen this movie already. Sure. I feel like the entire world saw it, but right. spoilers I don't know who for... Yeah, it's made enough money for everyone to have seen it several oh, times, I feel well, like. It's let's, true. We should have talked about this in the summer movie wager section, but I do want to point out exactly how much money this movie has made. Um, so this weekend, they're estimating that it made $350 million domestic and $1.2 billion worldwide. Um and I want to just compare that with Infinity War, which Infinity War made two fifty seven million opening weekend domestic, and um, six hundred and forty one million um, worldwide in opening weekend. So it went. That is insane. Yeah. So that Infinity War made six forty one million worldwide on its opening weekend, and this one has made one point two billion is a huge, insane jump. <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth noting for people who may have read more about this that uh, Infinity War didn't open in China opening weekend. Or Russia. And uh, Endgame did. Yeah, so there, there is that discrepancy. But the estimated number is still like 850 yeah. million. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, Infinity War over the whole summer domestically made 678 million and made 2 billion worldwide. So the fact that over the whole summer it made two billion worldwide is insane. Infinity War, I should say. Um, okay, here we go. Spoilers starting now. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. I just prepare myself emotionally to experience all of this. I again. know. Well, Ooh, let's start seriously. with like the most devastating opening scene of all time. Gosh, Hawkeye, man, that I absolutely loved that opening. It was genius, and I was shocked when it started because because it's the only it, is it the only Marvel movie to have a a pre credits screen, a pre credits scene. I don't know the answer Surely to that. Surely not. I feel like I feel like another one has it, but Iron, I was just surprised by th- it. Iron Man three doesn't that doesn't the whole past section take place before? Ooh. That's possible. Maybe. Um, throughout us talking about this, I do want to make it clear. I saw, I've saw i seen this movie twice. So I saw it opening night in IMAX with like the most jazzed up crowd. And then I saw it Sunday morning with a very chilled crowd. And so like <laughs> I got to see two very like different reactions to this film. Um, and so I'll, I'll just be like contributing that to this conversation. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yeah, so we got Hawkeye, and uh, what I love about this is you know exactly what's what's happening. You know what's coming. Yeah. Um, and it is. Have any of you guys seen the leftovers? I no, feel like it's gonna go. I think I need but, to. Yeah, you need to. Um, it's a great show. The first season is, um, a little rough, but I think I, obviously all of this kind of pulls from the leftovers a little bit. Right. With the, it's the same themes, um, just sitting with grief for a long time, and 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 what that does to you, um. But this this reminded me of it, of just like going about your life, no, and the audience knows something's gonna happen, and then it does, and it, you just, oh, it was rough. There was something uh, 
so especially devastating about um, him not seeing it coming and being the only one left because mm-hmm. it's like, and he's in the middle of nowhere. So it's like, you, you, you imagine the amount of confusion and fear running through him for a while until he even figures out what happened. Yep. And in the background, there's no one else to witness, right. you know, and in the background, don't you also hear, start to hear like you hear plane crashes and stuff See? like that as he's kind of like looking around or there, there's like, there's noise happening. Noise, like, uh, like I've heard that noise described as thunder and it's a, it's like a thunder cue that also happened at the end of infinity war. Um, oh, when, really? when all okay. of this is happening, like you, apparently very faintly, there's like these thunder noises and I think that's the Got same it. noise that we heard. Man. Either way, devastating. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we get we get that, and then we jump to Tony and Nebula in um, floating in space. Is it called the yeah yeah floating in space, out of gas or whatever? Um, and him kind of giving his monologue before uh, Captain Marvel shows up. Yeah, seeing Tony Stark emaciated, um, seeing that amazing scene where he and is teaching Nebula like how to play a game. And seeing Nebula, like, literally <laughs> kind of, like, understanding the concept of fun for the first time in her life. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that was a treat. Yeah, those two together is a weird, weird combo. But, I, 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 like, again, everything about this movie, just getting to see these people paired together is fun. And I don't like them together. But I think that's what I liked about that scene is just, like, oh, this is just a weird, awkward you know, twosome to be on this, on the ship, but you don't choose it. It's just what ends up happening when everybody else disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, you know, because of trailers and such that like Tony Stark, this isn't where Tony Stark is going to like leave us. Like, even though it seems like pretty dire of a situation, but there Mm -hmm. even still is like a tiny part of you. That's like, what if they just kill Tony Stark at the beginning of the movie? (laughs) Just right off the bat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, which makes like the Captain Marvel appearance like such a surge of like joy, you know, like oh this is who this is where the savior finally comes in. Right, right. The one time she does. Yeah. Um. So so she, so she comes, brings him back home. Um. Yeah, what, I was I was shocked they, uh, that apparently that her entire introduction to this team was just in that. Uh, end credit sequence. Yeah, they didn't put it in the film. It's just the end credit sequence of Captain Marvel where she shows up and gets introduced. I was excited to see that. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I was just, I was surprised by it. Yeah. Except, here's the thing. Doesn't it not really like, so, so okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking this and it's making more sense to me in this moment. So is the idea that she showed up because of the pager and then went looking for Tony. Yeah, so okay. she she shows up at at the Avengers headquarters, says where's That just uh, occurred to me. Where's Fury? Right yeah. now. Because right. when I first saw it, I forgot about the end credit sequence. I was picturing that as like a trailer instead of an end credit sequence. And I was thinking she just mm. happened upon Tony Stark's ship and no. brought them in. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that was a psych out. But it wasn't. It was a different order of events. Thank you. It's making sense yeah. to me now. <laughs> Okay. Not yes. your fault. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that scene where she shows up and meets them, but I also like the fact that we don't get that. We get just Tony basically yeah. alone falling asleep. And then all of a sudden the day is ex machina of her yep. showing up. Right. The movie's um, long enough. I don't, I don't need to see her meet everyone for a long sequence right. and then learn. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Um, let's talk about how incredible, 
Robert Downey Jr. is when he's like angry at like all the Avengers when he's once he finally does get back, specifically at Steve. This is my favorite part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it this guilt is like just everybody it's everybody dealing it with it in a different way throughout this movie yeah and his is this just oh and it it, it's it's even better because he's emaciated like of how like he's having to figure out how to you know eat again and stand again and all of this stuff and he's just having a hard time and is so angry it's great and he's also like the oldest of them all and Mm -hmm. yeah and you really feel like his age in this movie and especially when he's like you know he's like you know, God forbid we lose some of your precious freedom. It's a very like old man thing to say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the protectiveness that he feels that is again, I think also just showing his age compared to the rest of them. Yeah. I think it's right. really fabulous specifically because it, it, it brings back all of that tension from civil war, which I really love as a movie, but was very unsatisfying to me. Um, and it's ending specifically because we never got, a moment where Tony got to really lay in what he feels Mm -hmm. Steve's failings were. And so having that moment finally, because I mean, he has a lot of really solid reason to be upset with how Steve handled the situation. And I mean, vice versa as well, but we, we've got, we got Captain America's side because it was his movie. And now we finally get his, the, the other side of this argument. And it makes it seem less like he was the villain of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first time that they've seen each other mm-hmm. since then. Especially yeah. that, like, yeah, you great. said we would lose together too, and then you were like, you were, we didn't, we weren't there. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. so good. <sighs> oh, so they get together, they figure out where Thanos is real quick, and then are basically like, "Let's go get him. Let's go do this." Which I was impressed by. I didn't think they would win. Um, I thought there would be a trap, a trick, something. Right. Uh, but but they find Thanos and they immediately. I'm jumping ahead, but this is a bloodier movie than I thought it was going to be, and it's really just this scene um, where they cut his arm off immediately. Immediately they uh, cap. Oh oh, what is her name? Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel grabs him by the neck. Thor cuts his arm off, and that everybody in my theater just gasped immediately at just like how quick that happened Mm -hmm. and that that whole conversation of him kind of explaining that he destroyed the gems and that it's over and he's inevitable and all of this stuff and then thor cuts his head off that was the part that i gasped of just like oh they killed thanos immediately right like five minutes into this movie yeah they've killed thanos when you're sitting there and they've killed thanos and you go wow what is the rest of this movie gonna be yes we've killed the big bad right at the top and so and yeah. that feeling of truly you don't know where we're headed. It was really exciting. So exciting. And they, and they do that. I mean, not to jump ahead, but they do that a lot throughout the movie. Like it doesn't it's not just that one moment. There's others where they it's mm-hmm. almost like they are systematically dismantling all the things that we've all said are going to happen one by one. <laughs> yeah, because because I, I, I think going into this movie, a lot of it was, OK, how do you get the gems back from Thanos? Or how do you fight Thanos? A lot of it was had to do about Thanos, not how do you fix the situation, but right. how do you beat Thanos to then fix the situation? And the fact that immediately it's just like, well, we killed Thanos and we cannot fix the situation is, that's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But then we get to the title card where it very slowly says five years later. And I just it. like the, the pit in your stomach that you feel. 
when you realize, oh, we've lived in this universe with this situation for five years. Yes. Is awful. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you do get to see just how bad it is. Like you get to see how, like we, we have lots of shots, lots of uh, establishing shots of, um, of New York and just the devastation that's around. And you don't see people like you just don't see people out and about. It's just abandoned. Right. Everything. Um, which is terrifying. Yeah. And then we get that great, um, support group scene. Did you think it was great? I hear, I did not love the support group scene. I thought it was good to hear from an actual person besides an Avenger about like how difficult it is, Mm -hmm. but it felt just very forced to me. Um, what what aspect of it felt forced? Just the fact that it's like a support group and it's like, oh, I'm dating again. And just like this yeah. is like I, I just felt like I was like, OK, this is this isn't what I need. Like I did want to hear from other people that aren't Avengers. But this is. Yeah, I think let's move it along. I would have um, maybe preferred if we heard from more than just one regular person. Um, That's true. If, maybe if it, if it just hadn't been the one. Right. If we had gotten a little bit more variety of experiences. um. Mm-hmm. For me, I found it very moving because it's the only time we get to hear from someone that's not a superhero about in the like, entire movie. Yeah, <laughs> for, about like what this grief and what this world is like. And yeah, I found it to be very touching. And I think we have to talk about the fact that it's the first explicitly queer character Um in any of the MCU films. I don't know if we have um, to talk about it. I feel it's... the need to talk about it because I think it's an, it's... Im- it's an important thing. And, and I don't think it's as big as a step as I wish we would have taken. Obviously, I think it's, you know, very minimal in what needs to be do- compared to what needs to be done. But when you consider the fact that this is still an issue for any kind of movie that Disney produces, especially one of the Disney major tentpole films that they expect to perform well all over over the world, including China um, and Russia. And so for that to be included, it's, it's significant, whether it's like what we want or exciting, I think is a different um, like way to view it. But I do think it's significant. I would love to see what cut China got of this movie. I can't remember if it was Disney in the past, but there there have been movies that like replaced entire characters for the Chinese market. Sure, and that's a very easy scene to cut. Um, Yeah, I think I think what I wanted from that scene was it it felt very much like Steve was running the show, like it was it was his way of giving back now, which I which I get. Yeah, but I would have much rather have seen an established support group that Steve is a member of mm, yeah. and it, because it felt mm-hmm. less like he was trying to work through his problems and more like, I don't know. Um, and, and that's a callback to winter soldier, right? Where Steve, I don't know if he attends or if he just kind of like witnesses the support group that Sam is, is running. Yeah. yeah. As uh, again, just one, another moment where anytime we can see these callbacks to these like previous films, I think that that's, a, that, that's what makes this movie so special for me. And so I, I love noticing those things um mm-hmm. and then do we cut to scott and yeah. yes a rat let scott out of the quantum realm yeah fun. um <laughs> and he goes and uh checks out the avengers <laughs> well i mean oh no 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 no. he goes to his daughter oh, first those Which, shots of san francisco daughter, yeah that's that is Ooh. the moment that really the memorial seeing the memorial the memorial site was just like 
such a great piece of world building because of course that would have yes. happened. Yes. And a very, a very smart way to like take us into this next step of the story mm-hmm. and him not understanding what it is or what like, but knowing that it's bad, yeah. like he shows up and he's just like, Oh, there's a memorial. Oh my gosh. All the, all of these people. It's just, yeah. and then he's just looking for his daughter's name and then finds his. And that is, yeah. I, I want to know what and they do with that his... memorial after the events of this movie. Yeah. Do they leave maybe... it up? Just as a, hey, remember when you were all dead? Leave it up. These are the people. I mean, it's not. They still vanished and they still can. Just because they yeah, came back yeah. didn't mean they also didn't. No, vanish. for sure. I just think I'm just thinking about the the weirdness of being able to go to a place where you were memorialized for yeah. a horrible thing that happened to you. We at the very end of this, we have to talk about the aspects of all the people coming back and what that means for the world. Yeah. But um yeah. Seeing his daughter as like a teenager when we last saw her in Ant Man and yes. Lost as a child, yes, was wild. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that was that that hit very hard. Yeah. of just how much he missed. That was the first moment where like I almost cried. Um, didn't didn't quite get me, but I but got me close. Um, yeah, and then that was kind of, so really we, quickly. I just that was a moment that yes. really excited me. Um, because in the comics she becomes a superhero as well named stature and she takes um scott's place after he's killed um and she's a member of a a team called the young avengers which is basically like a bunch of children also with superpowers and they're awesome they're one of my favorites and uh, the idea that they might be aging her up to do something like that is so exciting to me well they got space now (laughs) yeah yeah they 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 have a lot of movies to create after this one i feel like it's closed a lot (laughs) yeah Um, um okay so scott goes to the avengers meets up with um everybody i guess and they go see uh stark yeah and this man seeing <sighs> tony stark as a father i yes wasn't prepared for how much that would mean to me like, it's huge like we talked about earlier iron man 3 i think is my number one marvel movie and a big part of what makes that so good is his relationship with a kid in it and it's like, wow, this, like, Robert Downey Jr. and this character of Stony Heart Stark is so good with kids. Like, seeing that b- back and forth that he has with a child is just, I could watch that all day long. I agree. That's it's. I really do love um, Iron Man 3 because of that. Um, and the whole time I was watching him with Morgan, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Please, this is great. Please let this continue. And... Then I, that, that, that's when I realized I was like, oh, oh he has something to lose now. Yeah. Like this is we're, we're not like we and I absolutely love that of the fact that like he doesn't want to change anything. He didn't lose anyone and he gets it and he like. Right. He completely understands how hard this is and this is bad. But things have changed for him in that time period and he cannot go back. He can't change and go back. And that that is what that kind of gave us stakes in the current world, which I was like, this is exactly what we need going forward. Well, the thing forward. that's so cool is that, you know, we, we have kind of, everyone has these like little three movie arcs and some, some mm-hmm. of them have several not in their own movies. Like, you know, there's obviously the Iron Man 1, 2, and 3 arc for Tony, but there's also the arc of him in Iron Man 3 then Spider-Man Homecoming and this one, that's his growth as a father figure between, I, was the, I think the kid's name is Harvey or in, the, in Iron Man 3, and then, you know, taking Peter under his wing. And I think that loss for Peter and, you know, having to decide between 
like how do i get this kid that i'm responsible for back but not lose this kid that i'm responsible for is a really interesting character tension they pitch it to him he says no they leave they go to banner um, and yeah they go to they, they go to banner which so what do you think of a uh, what uh, smart hulk professor hulk do you mean do you mean hot hulk professor hot hulk <laughs> Like the body oh, of Hulk and the brains and charm of Ruffalo is a great combo. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting that they didn't explain it. I mean, sorry, they did explain it, but they, they didn't show it. Um, I feel like that's a whole thing on its own of like say, how I want a whole movie, like a quiet meditative film, literally of the Hulk meditating and becoming like one with himself. <laughs> of him just like figuring this out. Um, I, I, I think it, I, I want all of that, but I think it does a really good job of also establishing. Right. Yeah, it's been five years. Hulk is like he's figured himself out. He's famous now. Like everybody loves the Hulk, yeah. which is the opposite of how we were five years ago. Well, and also something we didn't touch on. Oh, we'll, we'll touch on this. Um, we'll, no, we didn't touch on is that like before Ant Man shows up, it's just like Natasha and Steve. Like they're the only two people left. Like actively like mm-hmm. working together and working in this like working on these projects you know everyone else has gone their separate ways they do so this have is like, i think everybody's out and about but they have they still have rocket and war machine right i always forget Rhodey's they're, name. they're, they're um, you're right i'm sorry they're they're still working they're in contact with them yeah yeah, yeah. but they're kind of they're the only ones at home right. base that's what i meant exactly yeah um and so, like, this is, like, getting the band back together. And that includes, like, mm-hmm. getting Hulk back yep. on board. And then same thing with Thor. They go find Thor. Yeah. Which is rough. <laughs> so let's talk about Thor. Um, first of all, I thought seeing new Asgard was very charming. And seeing that, like, these people have, like, found this home in Norway. Um, I really loved that, that that was, like, the end of that journey for from what we saw from Ragnarok. Um, mm-hmm. I was really, really invested and um, like impressed by the emotional journey of Thor in this movie. However, the Thor fat suit and the comedy that comes from that is like my main criticism of the film. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a cheap joke that like is overplayed and and unnecessary and it feels to me kind of out of place in this movie um so i wasn't a fan of that i wasn't offended by it but i also just think it's really kind of like i said lame and um yeah so so that was like my one thing where i was like do we really need this aspect of it but the where the place that thor is in emotionally and how that scene plays out, I thought was really cool. Yeah. I think he's at, at this point, he's the opposite of banner, like banner self-actualized yeah. and um, Thor's fallen into this, this grief spiral. And yeah, he's an alcoholic who has gained a lot of weight and they keep poking fun at both of those things, yeah. which you're right is like not the best way to handle it. Right. Um, I like, it's something that I'd see like Tony Stark, like taking a, a, a jab at, but everybody does it. And it just kind of well, keeps happening throughout the know, movie. And it's like, like Banner right. doesn't, you know, like Banner is the one that discovers him true, and handles him true. with like a lot of sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was, just, it was just too many jokes about this point in this guy's life. <laughs> right. But I do think <laughs> so, it's very interesting yeah. after we see 
a whole movie about Tony Stark dealing with PTSD and like Iron Man three to see like a mm-hmm. different depiction of PTSD in a different character. Um, so they get him, they go back to the thing. Tony has figured it, figured it out. I love this scene where Ugh. he figures it out, is shocked and then talks to Pepper about it in just this scene of like, I did it and I could just leave it. it I could just ignore it and file it away. It's such an important scene because of, uh, we talked about this last year in Infinity War, but Tony and Pepper are really one of the only romantic couplings in this whole Marvel universe mm-hmm. that really works and that I think we as an audience are invested in. And so one of the main like conflicts between them as a couple is that Pepper is always trying to get Tony to like quit this for his own safety. She's like, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to like, you have things that are valuable to you that if you keep trying to save the world you're not gonna like survive it and he has always resisted that he's always like needed to do this and for them to have this sit down where she has finally come to terms with this is who you are and you're not gonna have peace with yourself if I don't let you be this person and him wanting to make that sacrifice for her that she's always been asking him to and then both like coming to the realization that like he needs to do this with such like a mature, like actualization of their relationship. I did not yeah. expect them to have the grace to handle this little section as well as they did. But I, yeah. I found myself so, so incredibly moved by where their relationship ended up. There were so many times that it could very easily, I mean, in storyline have turned toxic on either side of the equation. And so many times that it could have been, written in a really horrific way and they just navigated that river so beautifully mm-hmm. and and they're they're so much of that again oh we can talk also again about like how everyone looks in this new five year like physically mm-hmm. but part of like everyone has all these transformations robert downey jr in this movie has gray hair like not just like yeah. a little salt and pepper like he is he's an older man and mm-hmm. and pepper I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow still looks incredible, but she looks like she is an adult, older woman and um, older than, you know, what we what we started with her. And that age and maturity is also like shown in this relationship. Yeah. And he's at peace. Like this is the first time that he's felt at peace in his, his life, in his in, in, in his life. Yeah. yeah. And, and she's at peace. Like she's I feel like in all the other movies, she's constantly in conflict with him. And a lot of it is fun and, and jokey and, and, you know, yeah. 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 And but. Um, here, you know, she's just reading on the couch in front of the fire. They're just, you know, having a night by themselves. And it's, it's truly like, this is what she's always wanted. And yet she lets him go. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Now we get to talk about time travel. Not yet because Natasha goes to Tokyo. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yes. Let's get to Tokyo. That's, I have nothing to say about this. I, I did not like this. I was like, all right, fine. Whatever. He's out on a killing spree, killing all the bad guys because the good guys couldn't stay. So they got he's he he is upset that they got left behind and uh, all the good people or good people got taken and the bad guys stayed. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I well uh, that part of the whole of this story doesn't like interest me that much. What does interest me yeah. is after watching Avengers, is Avengers like really has like takes a moment to give Natasha and Clint these like impactful moments about their friendship and how, and, and their mm-hmm. origin. 
Um, and so seeing them come together again after we've seen them be apart for so many movies and knowing that there's like this deep history of friendship there, that the scene when they finally see each other and he is like, I- I'm a different person now. And she's like, I mean, you've seen me at my worst. I- I'm not judging you. And he can truly believe that. I thought I, I thought that was yeah. really important. Especially for, like, down the road of this story. Just have them, you know, see each other and acknowledge each other in a way that only the two of them could. Yeah. I have some bias here because Hawkeye is my favorite character in comics. Yeah. But I really really love the... I don't think we ever... Do we ever call him by the name Ronan? Not in the movie. We don't even call him by the name Hawkeye. We call him Clint. Oh, yeah, that's true. I think somebody calls... I think uh, Rocket calls him Hawkeye as a joke. I don't think (laughs) so. He calls his daughter Hawkeye. He calls his daughter Hawkeye at the beginning. And then there's a scene in, I think, uh, Avengers where um, Eric Selvig says, your hawk is over there in the corner. But, like, the name Hawkeye isn't really used for Clint in the movies hmm. interesting yeah yeah I, so i i really like this sequence as like a reflection i guess as a like a homage to his journey in the comic books which is uh, which mm-hmm. is the ronin era is like a really fascinating part of his history where he was he was killed and then brought back to life and he didn't know how to deal with that and basically went like into hiding for years as this superhero. And so I think for me, the confusing thing was I expected it to be, I mean, I didn't once the trailers were out, but I expected it to be a reveal, not just to us, but the characters that he was Mm. him. And I, I, that kind of bummed me out because I felt like it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. I do think even though like we don't get to see much of it, the idea of turning Clint into this like executioner, like is a smart one. Yeah. And, and makes sense for the story and where the story's headed. Yeah. Okay, now we can talk about time travel? Now we can talk about tri- time travel. So they try and figure out where all the stones are. They decide to do that. I, I, I do like that, that uh, Natasha was just like, wait, so if you pick the time right, there are three stones in New York? <laughs> which I knew because of all of my stone research yeah, yes. I had been doing. Prior, yes. Which was fun to watch because they basically have a whole sequence where they're all doing stone research. They're all like yes. telling their stories and like plotting out where all the stones have been, just yeah. like I was before the movies. I could have let yeah, this Yeah, they're doing exactly what saying. you did. <laughs> yeah. They did the same homework and came to the same conclusion that for some ridiculous reason, there are three stones on Earth. Yes. At the exact same time, and not only on on Earth, but in New York. Yeah. So they split up into three teams: um, Banner, Rogers, Lang, and Stark go to New York in 2012. So Banner immediately goes off to uh, find the the Time Stone, and I I loved that of him like seeing his old his old self and just being like, "Ugh, man." Oh my God, that sequence! <laughs> and then he, having to pretend yeah, to be he's him, to be angry, and just like, uh... he's like half-heartedly right. just like smashing things <laughs> yeah and then we get to see that. tilda swinton back into this in, yes i loved seeing like going back in history and seeing like that uh the ancient sorcerer the ancient one was active in that battle we just didn't know it you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that little things like that where you can kind of rewrite history are really cool to me well it it, it really makes sense because i feel like a lot of times you bring up like oh well if this person was around why weren't they helping and right. it's like not everybody is in the heart of the it she was like she was there she was like holding people yeah. off but just protecting the Sanctum Santorum. You didn't Santorum. see it because yeah. the movie wasn't about her. Right. There were other people yep. in World War II, but we didn't have to see them in Band of Brothers. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
So And then this meeting with him and her and talk and him trying to get the time stone, I think was like that was where there is a time before when they were like testing out time travel where Banner tries to explain how time travel works and I think found that very confusing but then we get another explanation sort of with the sorcerer with the, like a visual aid and that's where it kind of all Yeah, the visual aid me. was really nice. <laughs> that really helped. So just so I'm 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 going to summarize it and you guys tell me how close I am. But by removing a time stone from time, what you are doing is making a fork in the time stream um, and a new reality starts but if you put the time stone back at that same point it does not create that 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 stream and so because time is linear you aren't changing the past you're just creating a new a new stream a new rea- but it's an only reality. from yeah an alternate reality but it's only for from f- because you removed the stones well here's my understanding of this because I'm linking this also with like Banner's explanation beforehand where he was explaining because they were saying, you know, like, don't talk to yourself. Don't do this. He's like, no, the right. movies were wrong. He's like, Chain- going back into the past doesn't actually change your past. Or, you know, like, because they were saying, why don't we just kill Thanos as a baby, right? It creates yeah. an alternate reality. So, like... I, see, I don't think he mentioned alternate no, reality. I think he was just saying it's just your future. He didn't. But I think that those two things are interlocked. I think that, like, both things are true of each other. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's just if you take a stone out. I think it's, like, if you take a thing out or if you change a thing, then you have two different timelines. But if you put the stone back, it fixes, f- fixes or erases those timelines. Because right. that's the only reason she let him take the stone. She was like, yeah, m- your reality will stay the same, but my reality is going to be crazy. Right. But if you bring the stone back at the exact same point, my reality I stays the same. I was under the impression that her reality would literally dissolve. No, I think she just meant like it, it, bad things could happen in mine. Who knows what things, but a lot of bad things could happen because I don't have a time well, stone anymore. I guess then why was it so important that it happened at the exact same moment that it left? If it because wasn't that, that the stones were literally holding the universe together. Because if you bring it back I think at it the is. same moment, then that reality where there's not a stone in that future doesn't exist anymore. But would like one minute without a stone be that bad? I guess. I don't know. It's not so much. It's not. It's not the one minute thing. It's like. And when she says at the same time, I don't think they I don't think they really stress the idea like the exact second. I just think he means like the same time, like same area of time. I think I. Yeah, I think all of this, the time stuff was super wobbly yes. as to how. Well, my <laughs> second criticism is that like any time you have, I would say almost every single time you introduce time travel into a story, then you're opening yourself up to a lot of things not making sense. And so I think that happens in this movie. For me, I it doesn't matter. Like, the movie still works, um, even if, mm-hmm. like, not all the time travel stuff makes 100% sense to me. But yeah. a- adding that does complicate that, uh, complicate things. In yes. That yeah, I, yes. I think that's the stuff that, it, while I was watching it, I was like, yes, this makes sense. You establish the goal is, right. is you got to take the stone, but you got to bring it back we know to the what exact the goal same is. spot. We know, like, awesome. And that's all that really matters. Right. It's just after the movie, thinking through it, you're like, okay, now what happened? Why does, does this have to go here? And that The kind mistake of was yeah. they tried to explain the rules. They should never have tried to explain the rules. Yeah. <laughs> the correct course of action is Bruce Banner or Professor Hulk or whoever 
handsome hulk decide tells them what they're supposed to do someone asks why and he's like i don't have time to try to explain quantum physics and time travel to you right and then right. we don't have the rules yeah. to check their math and it doesn't matter anymore exactly sure exactly so, <laughs> uh, while hulk is like talking to the sorcerer supreme we have um the other three dealing with like the original Avengers in Avengers Tower. Yes. So they go after the Mind Stone. And um, the Space Stone. You're right. And the Space Stone. Both of them. Um, yeah. So they see. I love the fact that they see the the power shot from uh, from Avengers where they're all standing around mm-hmm. Loki. Yes. Um, and 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 t- Tony says, "All right, we can stop posing now." <laughs> um, what what I really um, loved about that scene is we got to see. Um, for another time since Thor 2, we got to see Loki do his Captain America impression. Oh, you're right. You're right. He does do his Captain America impression. Which makes me laugh so hard. Loki making fun of Captain America is one of my favorite jokes in all of Marvel. Um, <laughs> it's great. And I also love it being the impetus for them to put the gag on him. That in the original yes. you don't see happen, yes. but yeah. like in the next shot he has it on. And I love them giving right. a reason for yep. that. Right. Um, which also then sets up the whole Steve versus Steve fight, which Mm -hmm. I had two moments in this movie that just like made me want to stand up and cheer. And that was one of them when I saw that like Captain America was going to fight himself. Man, was I excited? Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, before the fight, he, we see the Hydra guys come in, which was, I think a lot of fun to see. Um, And then they get in the elevator and he gets in the elevator and it's the winter soldier thing all set up. It's all the exact same guys. Um, and then he just says hell Hydra and is able to walk out with it, which I thought was brilliant. Which by the way (laughs) is a reference to one of the least well-received comics of the last 10 years. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so clever. Um, I love, I love that cap cap fight for lots of reasons, but mostly because we have a, chance to see steve be annoyed at himself for his catchphrase yes. mm-hmm. oh. and you get you you get to see how much steve has grown because i i don't feel like steve is a character that grows much in these movies but seeing where he was in avengers versus where he is now you do see how much he's changed when he what, what does he say what, what is what is the line i could do this all day um, I, could, I could do this all day and he goes i know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It's because it's almost it's, it's it's like half of half of it is that uh, this is how this is how like saccharine and annoying I used to be and this is how everyone felt right. and half of it is like that kind of defeated of like oh man the only person that really could tire me out is me huh yeah it's like almost like yeah. I'm not forward to this <laughs> it's fight so true. the one thing that like ends the fight that like warms my heart is that he knows the only thing that will startle himself enough to like stop this fight is saying the phrase Bucky is alive like he knows that that's the one thing that will trip him up is like the mention of Bucky's name um so of course for me as someone who cares about the Bucky Steve relationship so much that was like really special yeah it's great. yep um and then meanwhile Tony and Ant-Man are trying to get the space stone but they fuck it up they really do a poor job of that <laughs> um they we we do run into uh what's his face oh uh um, robert redford as mr robert Secretary. redford yeah yep um ant-man gives a young tony a heart attack um which is fun i it's guess it's fun because thor revives him in a very like comical way oh that's true and it's fun seeing 
in the like hubbub of current Tony Stark losing the space stone, like Loki just seeing an opportunity and running away with yep. it. Um, which begs to begs the question: Is Loki around yes. now? I don't think so. Oh, I love. That. I, yep. I, yeah, he's running. He's running around great. in the Disney Plus series coming soon to a yes. Netflix style so streaming service. We don't know when yeah, that so, Disney Plus series is set. It's set everywhere because <laughs> he's got it to stone. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I agree because I see that as this again. This comes back to the time travel stuff of. He's gone now. He has disappeared. Here's why I think no. Because, so, in this 2012 timeline, they lose the stone. So, Loki runs off with the stone. But then they get it back, right? We're we're skipping ahead into, like, in the 1970 timeline. Hmm. If, If Steve brings it back to the 1970 timeline, then everything goes according to plan as it originally had, right? No, but it would go back to the 2012 timeline when they lost it. Because because they broke the 2012 timeline of the original timeline. So returning the stone to the 70s would fix the timeline to where it was. But because... The 2012 this is happens. why I fucking hate time travel. Because the 2012 happens this is later. So annoying. I think, I think this is exactly what they want us to be doing because then they can come in and just be like, "We have Loki, and he was, he got away. Yeah. It's fine." And and we we, can, we can't argue with it really. Whereas if they hadn't given us this shot, we'd be like, "But Loki died. Why is he in this series?" That kind of a thing. Yeah. Um. So it opens it up without us really having to answer sure. for it. So. Yeah. Um. So Loki gets away. Um, then they go back to the seventies. Um, my question is why does Tony Stark know this specific date that the Tesseract and the pin particles will be in the same spot? How does he know this? Because it's, it's around his birthday, right? Right. But how does he know about the he... pin particles? I, I, I get that. He's like, Oh, my dad was on a base the day I was born the night before I was I, born, whatever. Yeah. But how does he know the Tesseract is definitely there? I know exactly where it is. I know the pin particles are there. Like, it's a well, lot of knowledge. My thought was that it's because Howard Stark can literally only relate anything through his own work. And so any talk about Tony's birth his whole life would have to be like, oh, yeah, and this is the crazy tech thing I was doing that day because I'm great. Yeah. And I, and I just kind of assumed that, like, He's done throughout the years. He's done enough like reading and research about his dad and Shield and stuff that, um, going through his dad's old stuff and things like that. That he's that he's familiar with, kind of the history. That that checks out. Cool. Um, <laughs> so he gets to have this conversation with his dad, and as soon as they started to have this conversation, I was like, okay, Tony's done. This is this is oh, it. Really? If we're <laughs> if we're if, yeah, if we if, if we're doing this, then. He's he's done. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I had the thought but, if he doesn't die at the end of this movie, I'm I'm going to be mad at the yeah. bad narrative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I thought they did a really great job of kind of having that conversation just be about fatherhood and what what fatherhood is like. And um, he gets to give fatherly advice to his dad, um, which I thought was just beautiful. <laughs> and um, it's so beautiful that like he has this kind of tormented you know, this tormented memory of his father and his relationship with mm-hmm. his father. And to get to have that yeah. moment where he gets to see, like, his dad was just trying his best, just like he's trying his best. And, like, that is a type of grace that we all get to try to give our parents as we become adults. You know what I mean? Like, no matter yeah. what ways we are upset with our parents or have, you know, complicated histories with them, once we become adults, we just kind of all come to the same understanding that, 
they were just people like trying their hardest and, and life is hard, you know? And so him coming to that realization by meeting his father was really, really beautiful. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And of course it also like really clearly sets up when, when Howard Stark says, you know, um, he says something like, well, you know, let's hope this kid turns out better than me. Not like me because I've never put the greater good above my own self-interest. And so that line just like really sets mm-hmm. you up for what's coming. Yeah. Well, and, and the yep. expectation that like, <laughs> regardless of how he acted his whole life, Tony now knows that like, yeah, my dad would be proud of who I am based on yeah. this. Oh, so great. Right. Daddy yep. issues shit always gets to me. I was like, oh, I'm sure. sobbing constantly. <laughs> Yeah. Daddy issues resolved. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of daddy issues, uh, Thor and Rocket uh, end up on Asgard. Really quick. We just have 2000- to like, briefly oh, yeah. mention the fact that like Steve sees Peggy in the 70s. Oh, yes. You're right. Um, you're right. And, you know, is um, still in love with her. That's that's yep. really all we need to say. Like, there, there's nothing more that really happens there, but it, it happens. I thought it was a beautiful... Show, like scene yeah. like him going in there and him just being in that, that dark office while the she is just working is gorgeous and just like yeah ooh, so good and him just not, not overall this word, is a really beautifully there. shot movie yeah i think so um i think certain scenes like sequences <laughs> better than others like but but yes, i think that seven that whole sequence with him in the office with peggy was really cool i think there's so many different scenes yeah like so many different i guess not ways of shooting but there's it's just it's so long right. um it's there's just so and much there's so many different uh, environments like yeah. yeah yeah um there there are a lot of places that i really liked and there are a lot of places that i was just like mm, none of this matters it's just a green screen yeah um <laughs> But, okay, let's go back to Thor. Yes. So Rocket and Thor go to Asgard in 2013. They're there to get the reality stone from Jane. This is why um, seeing Thor 2 before seeing this movie was so important. Like, it yes, really Yes, it is important because I didn't off. remember any of this. Let me tell you, if you watch it right before, this section of the movie becomes so much more meaningful. I re- the only, Honestly, the only thing I remember about Thor 2 is his relationship with his mom. So I'm really glad that they brought that See, in here. What's so interesting about Thor 2, Lucas, is that like his mom's death is a big part of that movie, but you actually don't get to see his relationship with his mom in that movie. The, the whole movie, what makes that movie so special is that it's about how Thor is his father's son and Loki is a mama's boy. And that's part of like their tension. Oh, that's right. As brothers. It's Loki's relationship. It's Loki's relationship yeah. with his mother and that's how right. like, the death of his mother of the of their mother affects them both in different ways. Loki because like he was a mama's boy and Thor because like he's more relates to his father but of course he still loves his mother and that kind of like what does that mean when the parent that you're less close to is the one that goes first, you know, that, that kind of tension. And so that's what, well, that's what makes Thor two so interesting to me is like the family dynamics. And then to have this sort of revisionist history where Thor gets to have this important moment with his mother is really, really impactful. Um, Cause in all of the Thor movies, you just see him and his father, um, 
like mm-hmm. dealing with their issues together. And we finally get yep. to have like Frigga gets like this really great parenting moment. Yeah. And all the things she says are so beautiful. And like, she's like, you've come to the most wise person in Asgard. And I like really felt that that was true. Like the things that she said about like, you were trying to be the person that you were supposed to be versus the person you actually are. And we're all failures at some point. And, and learning to like give yourself like love and space. Oh, so, so touching. It really was great. Um, the only thing I didn't like about this scene was kind of the side line of, um, of rocket chasing Jane Foster (laughs) with the, the the weird, I don't know what was going on there. I, so she had the, she had the ether inside of her at that point. Yes. Man, I do not remember that movie at all. You should give it a try. It's pretty good. I, I, I probably will. Honestly, the, 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 the one scene, that, and this is a tangent, but the one scene that I remember from this movie that I absolutely love is when after his mom dies and he's talking to Loki through the, through the whatever, the prison oh, thing. Yes. Um, and then as he, like, he has his whole speech and he leaves and you go through and you see it from Loki's perspective and it's just devastating. Well, like he is just... I'll, I'll correct you. What really happens is... He goes to talk to Loki and Loki looks like beautiful and put together and they're talking. Right. Thor goes, it's okay. You can like stop the act or like stop the tricks. And then there's like a moment and then everything changes and you see all of Loki's cell destroyed and he's like a mess. It's just completely. It is a really great moment. That's what it is. There's there's so many great moments between the two of them in that movie. And I don't know about that. No, there really are. <laughs> There's like this moment after they've like escaped Asgard and again after Frigga's death where they're on a boat together and they're talking about her and their relationship with their parents and um yeah. Ugh. Josh, what if we rewatch Thor two and it's good? I've rewatched it Thor two recently and I can promise you it's not good. <laughs> okay, good. That makes me feel better. I, I haven't seen I, it since it came out. I, so I, I don't yeah, the I won't either. battle at the end. <laughs> Listen, all I all I need to know about Thor 2 is what I saw at the beginning of Thor Ragnarok with Matt Damon. <laughs> so silly. Anyway, <laughs> this seeing this moment with Frigga and her wisdom and like him, you know, fearing the fact that her death is about to come and her being like, "Don't worry. Like this is not you're not here to save me. You're here to like save your future." Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. good. And he gets a hammer. Yes, and he gets his hammer back, which I was excited about because in Thor Ragnarok, I really missed his hammer. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although it does, the whole Stormbreaker thing and then him getting his hammer back, it does a little bit kind of negate. The whole point of Ragnarok was at the end, he, like, figures out he doesn't need his hammer. like. And then immediately in, in Infinity uh, War, he's like, Infinity War, he's like, oh, I need a I hammer really now. Need a hammer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. but I like the hammer anyway, so... I, I, I'm not too worried yeah. about that. Okay. Um. So then we go to who is Nebula. it? Uh, Nebula and War Machine. War Machine and is it just them? Well, oh no, they go with Renner. Or, um. Hawkeye and uh, Natasha drop off Nebula and Rhodey. That's right. That's right. And then they take the spaceship, which to me that is just a weird thing of them taking a spaceship together to <laughs> this. The the it's it's just a weird grouping of like yeah go fly a spaceship now you people who've never been to space, yeah. um, <laughs> but I think Nebula makes a point to say like autopilot. I programmed yeah. it 
you, yeah, you don't have to do anything. But that's also a cool um, scene of like Clint and Natasha in a spaceship alone, and them like even though it's been so dire throughout all the film, both of them being like, "This is pretty fucking cool." Like, look what yeah, we get to yeah. do, and. Yeah. And, and again, knowing their history, like all the different battles and and missions the two of them have been on and like, look where they are now. Well, and yep. it's also also the tension um, of it is really great because, you know, where they're going. And right. You, we and as you, the audience. And yeah, they don't know, but we already know what they're doing and we know what they have to do to do it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so that's rough. Um, Let's talk first about like the Clinton Natasha before we talk about like Nebula and Rhodey. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I will say this about that whole sequence is that the first time I saw it, I expected what would happen happened, um, but I wasn't really emotionally invested in it. And then the second time I saw it, I was weeping, knowing for like knowing the way that it plays out the second time I saw it and knowing, again, their history and, and and thinking back about how in in Avengers Natasha has this whole story about when they met, he was supposed to kill her and instead Mm -hmm. he saved her and she has read in her ledger. And finally we get to a point where she can truly repay the favor and was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't happy that they're killing the only female Avenger. (laughs) Sure. But, but I, I, I think it worked really well from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. It was, it was a bummer where I really wanted her to keep going and take up a like Nick Fury style leadership role. Yeah. But also yeah. it would have made zero narrative sense for her to allow someone with a family to just like kill himself. I mean, absolutely. The moment that yeah. like you realize they're headed there together, you know like she has to be mm-hmm. the one to die. Yeah. Cause he has a family. Yep. Like Yep. And they set it up at the beginning, so it'd be super weird for right. him just <laughs> They they added that nice tension of like his kind of although they didn't they kind of just hint at it rather than playing into it of the I've done so many horrible things am I even worthy of having that family anymore kind of situation right but Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where it's like even if there was no other storylines but like her killing people him killing people all these things even if none of that existed the mere fact that he has a family like that's the trump card you know what I mean. Right. It just right. is. Like, <laughs> you have a kid. You have yeah. kids. The end. You have kids. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a nice moment of like them like also we got to see them like fight each other in Avengers and then we got to see them fight each mm-hmm. other in Civil War and then to kind of like round that off with them fighting each other one last time like to do this final act. Um, yeah, that's yeah. true. I'll say I wasn't disappointed that it didn't happen, but I I did wonder as they were flying out there. I was like, they they both worked for Shield for a long time, and they had pretty high clearance. And I wondered if they would get there, and we would finally get a moment for someone to go, "Oh shit, Red Skull!" Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> weren't you a Nazi at one they point? They just recognized like, him. What are you right. doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, Nebula. Nebula. So they get they get to uh, the I don't I don't know the planet names. They get there and she they they have to wait for Peter Quill, which I I thought that was a lot yeah. of fun of of the of you know a see, seeing him sing and and dance and then us seeing it from their perspective where he just looks oh, like a crazy person singing so without music. Good that so. shot where you can't hear it and it 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. And it, and one of what makes it so good is that the original sequence from Guardians is so good. Yeah. Like it. It's a great yeah. Oh, scene. Yeah. And then to like play it up even further is just like an extra bonus. I I think yeah. that that sequence from Guardians is still my favorite character introduction in the entire. It's a really yeah, good it tells you so much about who he is with nothing. This is why like every movie needs like sing-alongs. I'm a big proponent of like characters <laughs> singing and dancing because it's always fun. So they very easily knock him out. I love that. I love just how quick and just easy that is. Of just he is not he's not formidable. Yeah. He's like right before yeah. that we get that like great moment where Nebula where he's like okay well, let's just go hide and Nebula's like we got to be look out. It's like who else is looking for this stone. She's like, well, Thanos is my sister and me. And guess what? I was pretty fucking scary in 2014. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 then we get to see that we get to see Rhodey bail, and she gets caught with uh, her memories inside of old Nebula. So again, this is one of those things that I'm not really sure how the the mechanics work. To for me, this. that made so much uh, sense. Is that like? She's like a cyborg and like they said, she's on a network. And so like when a past self comes into like the same universe as like her, or a future self comes into the same universe as her past self, that they're like on this. I'm imagining there's some sort of like space internet that she like operates on. <laughs> yeah, she she had her settings to auto connect to her personal space yeah. Wi-Fi. And yeah, so, like, then yeah. when there was two of them, Auto-login. all of the, like, info starts, like, getting mixed up with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it made sense. I just don't know the technical aspect sure. of it. But it, it, it totally worked. And so she's kind of getting both things at once. Thanos reads her mind, figures it all out, stuff. I loved watching Thanos see that he won. Yeah. And seeing Gamora's reaction to seeing him win. Right. I do want to point um, out really quick that that... Yeah. I think it's a really cool like way that they show Nebula's memories is like through that little like cool projector from her eye. And that was something yeah. that we saw in Infinity War where we saw Thanos like forcing mm-hmm. Nebula to project her memories of like Gamora. Um, yeah. And so like that was like we, we know that that's something capable because of that. I loved getting to watch Thanos watch himself die and like how little yeah. that affected him. How- how unperturbed he was. Yeah. By, his reaction is by always his own like, beheading. Yeah, that makes sense. That's always right. been the plan. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He's like, it's again, it's the second time he said it. He said, it's inevitable. Um, he's crazy. Um, but now he knows where the, now he knows how to get the infinity stones. Um, yeah. It was also uh, nice to have Gamora back. Love her. It was. I like old Gamora. That was, it was fun seeing old right. Gamora. Right. <laughs> because old Gamora is a great mixture of, decent and vicious yes yes yeah i mean new gamora was as well but older gamora is more also more vicious than decent yeah. more vicious so yes. so then <laughs> side i guess sidebar are you all under the impression that old gamora is still out there somewhere yes i am sweet same <laughs> we'll, yes. we'll get to that i guess like but, once we get to it um yeah yes so so, so everybody comes back to the present Except for Natasha. Um, except for Natasha. And that is a terrible scene when everybody's so happy that everybody made it back and then Clint just falls. Yeah. And one thing I noticed <sighs> on my rewatch is that right before they all time travel, they're all like standing in that circle. And mm-hmm. Natasha is the one that says, okay, see you in a minute. And then that 
Mm. Then it happens and they come back and she's, of course, the only one that hasn't come back. <sighs> that is going to be a depressing rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, so they have a hard time, um, but they make the Infinity Gauntlet. I didn't like that they made it out of the... I mean, it makes sense that they make it out of the Iron Man suit, but it's just... Maybe it's the nanotech stuff, like the fact that like it just can fit whoever's arm it is. I don't know. Oh, it's I, lo- weird. I loved that. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I don't. I mean, it really it, it grew to fit Hulk's, but like that it stayed big the rest of the movie. I guess that's true. I I'm, I guess I'm thinking just the nanotech in general yeah. everywhere, how it's always like changing and stuff like that. But um, I think it makes it a little hard to like comprehend what is right. what. But you're, you're right. It just changes once to fit yeah. Hulk. But, but the, we have that great um, moment of like Thor just being like, okay, it's me. And everyone having to be like, Thor, yeah, you are like, emotionally oh. like not in a place to do this. <laughs> yeah. Which again, like yeah. I said, the whole fat Thor, like I think was not particularly like funny or entertaining. But I do think the storyline of where he was emotionally and seeing him as a mess and having what what having to plot out like what happens when one of your superheroes is a mess it kind of like reminded me of hancock you know like yes exactly and, second week in a row we've talked about oh my hancock. god that's two weeks too many <laughs> <laughs> and so like, but that's like a really interesting concept and i think the way that they played it out was like a really great character study yeah. i agree um and not to jump to the end but i love that he is still a mess at the end but he's like working on it kind of a thing it's not like he's fixed by the end of this (laughs) you know what i thought was gonna happen when we see like thor shirtless and with like the beer belly at the beginning of the movie um my immediate thought was like okay they're gonna have this and then he's gonna like get his shit together and he's gonna like run around the block a few times and then be back to like being all Abby because he's like an Asgardian and it like doesn't take much to yeah. get back to form. You know what I mean? I thought that like was going to be the just joke. a two week training regimen and he's, he's I thought back. the joke was going to be like all an Asgardian has to do is run a few laps before they're super muscly. Um, yeah. But that didn't happen. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't happen. Even when he like does kind of get together a little bit and like fixes his beard and stuff like yeah. that. Braids his beard. Um, He's still fat Thor. Yeah. So he has to go into this final fight fat. So yeah, and so the so that it comes to the decision that like a banner is the one that has to put on the, yes. the glove. Yes. So he does it. You see the impact that it has on him doing the snap. We get that um, great callback from Captain America First Adventure, where like Cap is in the machine when he was becoming like Cap, injecting the serum. And everyone's, he's screaming because it's so painful. And they're like, turn it off. And he's like, no, I can take it. Yeah. And we have the same yeah. thing happen with like, with Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, I absolutely loved, he does the snap and the, f- and then the phone call starts yeah. and you just hear the phone buzzing and then, and everybody's just kind of like moving around, like trying to get the thing off Thor um, or not Thor, trying to get the, the glove off Hulk um, Ant Man is like goes outside to look at the because there's more birds all of a sudden and it's just this second of like peace of just like they did it and then Hawkeye picks up his phone and it's his wife and you know it worked and then the whole building blows instantly. up instantly <laughs> yes which happened earlier in the, oh, not man. that it's early in the movie but earlier in the movie than I expected it to for Thanos to yeah, show up I, and... I mean I, there was it was very clear that like once they once you know it's fixed that like 
okay, like we're in the final, like all that's left is the final battle. But for the final battle yeah. to be the size of the movie that it is was big for me. I was really quick before we get to the battle. So when they all come back from time traveling and Nebula's there, like I think as an audience, you know, like, oh, that's not the Nebula that's supposed to come back. Like that's the scary Nebula. And right. And then it immediately cuts to all of the guys like hanging out on the dock talking about like Natasha being dead and like being sad mm -hmm. and Nebula's not with them. And I remember being very stressed being like, where is Nebula and where are the stones? Like y'all are yeah, all, yeah. <laughs> all took off by yourselves to grieve and left like an alien with all the stones alone. <laughs> I was really nervous that like something was going to happen there. Also an alien. That yeah. Even if you do think she's your version of her, she was yeah. evil less than a movie and a half ago. Like right. <laughs> to be fair though, they have had five years with her. I guess that's, that's true. <laughs> True. No, that's that's very. That's I hadn't fair. thought about but that. But even in that still, context. like maybe this stone yeah. shouldn't be left alone with anyone. I mean, like, I get I get that you need to grieve, but grieve after you brought everybody back. Or like, don't like, go down to the dock and have a pity with party. With the stones like, nearby, like <laughs> any anything that powerful, you should just assume is like the One Ring, and yeah. has a very corrupting influence yeah. on people, people nearby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it ended up not being an issue. Instead, the issue was that she brought. Thanos and his army into the yes. future. But she let them do the snap, which I was surprised by. So, yeah, that's interesting. I guess it didn't ultimately matter because like, yeah, he, his new plan was like, I'm going to destroy everything. everything. And so if that has to happen, it doesn't matter whether they bring people back or not, you know? Yeah. yeah. So then True. we have Thanos and he reveals his new master plan about, how the world he's like they weren't nobody was grateful <laughs> and um i learned that i have to just kill them all and start anew and and he has this like huge ego that like because nobody like expressed any gratefulness this will be the new better plan <laughs> um it's when we really this is like i think the first time where we get to see thanos be truly a super villain yeah because i think in other scenes we get to see him be cruel when he's like torturing people we get to see him like be a mastermind and stuff but like he truly believes that he's like going to be doing something good for the world and like or the universe and all those other sequences we saw him in and he's like working towards this goal of like peace that he believes in and this was the mm -hmm. first time where we see we see him being truly like vengeful yeah. And this is why it's my least favorite part of this mm. movie, because this entire time he's not vengeful. Yeah. He is he is very he's peaceful. He has his his plan. He has his track and he doesn't do anything out of spite or anything. That's like so that. interesting um, because I, I love it. I love this turn because Infinity oh man, Infinity War like <laughs> is entirely from like from his perspective. And so mm -hmm. you're, the whole time you're seeing his idea of who he is, at least that's the, my interpretation of it how i felt about it and so then when we finally meet him in endgame you get to see him the way they see him because they're the protagonists now and so you get to see who he is to people who are not inside his crazy brain see but i still see that from him though what like right before they kill him of just him being at peace with this is my plan i'm gonna do this this is how it works um and here he's just like i'm 
just here to kill you guys because I don't like this. <laughs> but, I didn't dwell on it too um, much because we get into the action pretty quickly after that. You do get into the action pretty fast. So the original three go out, go out to fight him. Meanwhile, um, Every- Hawkeye has the gauntlet and is on the run from, uh, what are they Monsters. called? The, the monster people. <laughs> yeah. The bad like guys. Growly, um, growly, growly guys. Out, out. You know, the growly guys. <laughs> Um, so awesome fight. I did like the, like the actual like choreography of the fight. Like I thought it was a really fun fight to see those three going against him. Um, Thor is not up to snuff. Um, and then we see Captain America take the, the hammer and that, that this is the second moment where I like was truly shocked and wanted to stand up and cheer. It got a huge reaction in my theater. Um, like I said, I, I saw it in an opening night crowd and like a Sunday morning chill crowd. Dur- throughout the whole movie, the opening night crowd like applauded at everything. Like every, every yeah. single thing got yeah. applause. But then my Sunday morning crowd did not react that way. Like until mm-hmm. Steve got the hammer. When Steve got the hammer, that was the first time in my Sunday morning crowd that people started clapping and like audibly getting really yeah. excited. And I, th- I thought it was a great moment. the only moment in any of these movies where I've actually, like, I felt like, man, I'm kind of bummed that I've read comics my whole life <laughs> because, like, I want to experience <laughs> this as a surprise. It was amazing. Yeah. I bet. And again, it was like, you know, sort of foreshadowed in Age of Ultron. And yeah, so so that's that's the question: is was he faking it in Ultron, or is he now worthy when he no, wasn't? He's become I, worthy. I heard a theory that he's become worthy because in Ultron he knew the secret of like um, of the mm, Winter Soldier killing yeah. Tony Stark's parents, and now that that is out in the open, and he's not holding on to that secret. He is now worthy. I like that theory. That's how I feel about it. That's pretty great. Okay. So while they're fighting, we've got Nebula convincing Nebula that she's good and that she should turn against Thanos. Nebula and Gamora have a a future Nebula and past Gamora have a moment where she explains like we grow, we like learn to love each other and you're Mm, better than this. And then the two of them go off to try to convince old, old nebula to fight but they ended up just killing her because can't just be reasoned her. with yep um what do you how do you feel about nebula's arc i loved how much time we got with nebula in this movie because i think she's an amazing character um i i, I don't know that she has like a huge transformative arc other than it's just fun to see her with a game plan of helping people other than being on like a psychotic mm-hmm. murderous rage it was just yeah. like a, a, a new character, really. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I was I was into it. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was super deep as a character arc, but I just I, I think Karen Gillan is one of the had been more one of the more underutilized, like really good actors that they had. And yes. I just loved yes. having her on screen more. Well, and it was fun. I I'm glad they used her. I don't I don't like that. Like I maybe it's just like the metallic makeup and everything like that, but it's just hard to connect with her mm-hmm. <laughs> on that level. I think because she lo- just looks like a machine. Yeah. But for me, it was really fun that Infinity War was like a Gomorrah movie, and 
Endgame was a Nebula movie. Mm-hmm. To have, again, that, like, balance yeah. was, I think, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I like, like what that. you said about her being hard to connect with, because it's funny to me that in Infinity War, there's literally a robot character that's easier to empathize with. Then. For sure. <laughs> oh, one thing we need to talk um, about. It's, it's, I, I kind of felt the same way about Vision. And then when they made him actually look like... Um, Paul Bettany. Yeah, Paul Bettany. I was like, yes, this is it. I can connect with this guy. And then they, when they turn him back, it's like, yeah, one, all right, One cool. thing we need to talk about with like Thanos and his army is that my beloved Ebony Maw is back. Ebony Maw is oh. back. Yes. I... Everyone loves Ebony Maw. I don't. I. I'm. I'm. I'm shocked that this was the like. I came out of Infinity War thinking, you know what? I really loved Ebony Maw. He wasn't much of a character, but I absolutely loved him. And everybody felt the exact same way. So I don't know if it's the actor or what. I. Th- I. Let me back up. It's definitely the actor. He's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic, but it's also that he like feel he has like sort of Magneto powers. Like, I mean, more powerful than Magneto. Oh, that. But like those powers that, yeah. are rad. And like they're used in really cool and visually interesting ways. And I think that combined with the actor makes him like a favorite. Just his mm-hmm. whole like false prophet vibe is so yeah. cool. Like, yeah, it's he's very charismatic and like there's something that draws the, you to him, whether it's you know positive or negative. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. so excited to see him back. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> Um, so they fight and we're, uh, cap cap shield gets cut in half, which is pretty great. Just the, the hacking that's going on there. Um, we're down to the end. You think cap's about to die. And, um, who, who talks to Sam, Sam on your, le- on your left. Yep. On your left. And Dr. Strange opens the portals and people start coming From through. The- all over the universe from everywhere the first time i saw this i didn't notice that the ravagers were coming in from space um and then the second time i noticed it i did not yeah, notice the that. ravagers from guardians 2 um are, are are one of the portals and are coming in yeah. and helping with yeah the fight. i didn't nice. notice that either i didn't realize they were there until i saw sean gunn on set in an Instagram post. And I was like, oh, I guess he's in the movie. So how'd you feel about the the the, the girl shot? All the girls together. You know, <laughs> I, it was definitely noticeable the first time I saw it. And I didn't think much about it other than like, oh, I see what they're doing there. And then afterwards, I kind of saw a lot of negative reactions to it online. Mm-hmm. Just about it being pandering and kind of too little too late and that kind of thing. And so I went in it the second time really thinking about, like, evaluating my feelings about it and whether I agreed or Mm -hmm. not. And then the second time I saw it, I got very emotional. (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess I like this because there's some – I didn't expect – I expected to be more cynical about it the second time I saw it. And and it was the opposite because uh, there's something deep inside me, and it might, you know, be cliché, but – seeing women show up to protect other women is something that is definitely like an emotional trigger for me Mm -hmm. because I know what it's like to be a woman that like makes a, makes it a priority to like protect and show up for other women. And I've had other women do the same thing for me because that's just like, and, and so like in that shot, it's very much like, you know, one woman has the gauntlet and someone says like, how are you going to get through all this? And then a, 
And then every other woman shows up to make, to protect her and make sure that she's okay. And so like that Mm -hmm. made me very emotional. And I also fully recognize that that moment is pandering and a little too little too late at the same time. Yeah. I, I read an interview with the, with the writers and they were like, yeah, we, we kind of went back and forth on it. Cause we were like, yeah, it does feel kind of pandering, but it's also kind of awesome yeah. and it, like, and it works. And like, it's just like, it's, it's one of those things that it's just like, yeah, we, we kept it in because we, we liked it, even though you're right, it's going to feel pandering and people aren't going to like it, but it, there's, yeah. well, there's something so. about them just acknowledging that they knew already that it was going to feel like pandering that mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I yeah. a dude, feel like takes the sting off, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I left the moment feeling hopeful that it was a signal of where they were planning to go in the future rather than like, oh, look how great we've been, this, you know? Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I hope that's the case. Um, I know I, I heard Dave Chen talk about seeing the film critic Dave Chen talk about seeing this movie with his wife and when this scene happened his wife like turned to him and made like a vomiting gesture and so like <laughs> I know that there's a lot of women that feel very differently than me in regards to yeah. this scene yeah um yeah but 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 I mean it is like I said significant in the movie um I'm trying to think of other things with dealing with the portals that we might want to mention um, I think, uh, one thing that like was really cool was having, seeing, um, Hope Van Dyne, the wasp come through and, and mm-hmm. like be a part of this action in a way we never got to see her be before. Um, and, in in like this, you know, grand of a spectrum, um, there's yeah. one little callback I want to mention, which is when the two of them, uh, when she and Scott Ant-Man are like talking about trying to get to the van and like and what that game plan will be. They're all on like earpieces, I guess with everyone. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, Steve says something to them and, and she goes right on it. Like she says something like right on it cap, which is like fun callback because in Ant-Man and the wasp, she makes yes. fun of Scott <laughs> for calling him cap. She's like cap. Yeah. You're on yeah. <laughs> so, look, those tiny little moments that like, they're not super significant, but if you had just rewatched all the movies, you notice those little things. Those are the, those little achievements, I think, make this movie extra special. I 100% agree. I'm very pumped to do a marathon eventually. Yeah. I think once, I don't know, once probably once this comes out on Disney Plus or where, wherever it'll it'll sure. be by the time it comes out on streaming, but um, I, I, I do want to do a, a full yeah. rewatch because I think the way you've talked about it makes it feel very beneficial. Yes. So we also need to talk about <laughs> Spider-Man and Tony Stark reuniting. Yes. Oh my goodness. Again, another callback was in homecoming. He like hugs Tony in the limo and Tony's like, this isn't a hug. I was just getting the door from you. Yes. Just and get in the door. Immediately. Like Tony gives him this huge hug as soon as he sees mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. special. And, and there's a lot of moments Spider-Man, in my rewatch, Spider-Man ranked really high, and I realized just how much I love that movie. And part of what I love is how good Tom Holland is at, like, being an overeager and polite teenager. (laughs) Like, his politeness is always seems so out of place in these battles. And there's this great moment when they're playing, like, hot potato with the gauntlet, and he has it, and Valkyrie, like, picks him up, and he's she's carrying him on his pegasus her pegasus 
and he immediately is like, hi, nice to meet you. Like, he starts to try to, like, do an introduction <laughs> yeah. in the middle of this battle while he's flying in the air. <laughs> and those little moments of characterization for him, like, I just thought, oh, like, oh, they really nailed it with his character. Um, so they play Hot Potato with the gauntlet. Um, it gets to Carol Danvers. And uh, I got a lot to say about Carol, but... She makes a run for the van, doesn't make it, gets in a big fight with Thanos. I did like this fight with Thanos because we have, she pulls this, the Captain America move from the first, uh, does he get the gauntlet before they, yeah, he gets the gauntlet and then yeah. they fight. Um, and she pulls the Captain America move where she's just holding the gauntlet and um, from Infinity War. And in Infinity War, he very quickly brushes past Captain America. And in this one, he has to pull out the power stone to hit yeah. her, <laughs> to get her and off, this, which just shows how strong yeah, she this is. This past Thanos has no, like has, has no idea who she is. And like, right. um, Oh, before we get to that, I just want to mention that we have like a Scarlet witch moment where she like kind of confronts Thanos and she's like, you took everything away from me. He's like, I don't even know who you are. Um, and then she goes, yeah, you will. Which, and he's like, whatever. And then just brushes her right Like Thanos saying that is very Don Draper of him. Like Don Draper has that great elevator yeah. moment yeah. where he's like, I don't <laughs> think about you. Like to, I don't remember who it was. Um, yeah. But so like that, that was really funny for me for him to be like, I don't even know you bitch. Like this is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was fun. So sorry. He has the gauntlet. And um, Carol Danvers is fighting him. Yes. So she gets she gets punched, goes flying. Um, and that's about it for her in this movie. Um, I feel like she was hyped up a lot more yeah. pre-movie. Um, I think watching this movie again, I'll be fine with her level of involvement in this because she's extremely powerful and you can't do much with that. And this is really about the original Avengers. I didn't, I didn't um, want more of her. And I think they did a good job of explaining why she wasn't present. But I do yes. think it is silly how much the end credits of her in Infinity War with Nick Fury mm -hmm. and then the lead up of like, she's so powerful. This is the key to like us winning the whole yeah. thing and then for her to be sidelined is, is just a little silly the order the movies came out with did this movie a disservice agreed. in regards to her agreed yeah i don't yeah. think this movie did anything wrong with her it's just it's everything else that came before it us thinking that she was going to be you know an integral part of beating right. Thanos. so i guess she was an integral part of um, beating future thanos <laughs> <laughs> yeah true oh <laughs> um so then it comes down to he he has the glove, he has the stones. Uh, it comes down to him and Stark. Quick fight. Stark steals the stones back. Um uh right right before he closes his hand or, or to do the snap. I, I, I did like that of of him kind of beating Stark and just saying, again, you know, I'm inevitable yeah. and then snapping his fingers and nothing happening. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Uh, sort of right before he st Stark steals the stones, we have that great moment with him and Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange like yes looks and at confirms, him, confirms like this is the one, and what you think you have to do, yes, you're right, you have to do, yeah, mm -hmm. yep, silently, but like that's conveyed yep. between the two of them, yeah, yep. And then he says, "I am yeah. Iron Man," and snaps. 
And it's so satisfying to see all of those like troops and Thanos disappear the exact same way yep. everyone else did. Yeah. Um, and then you get a great death scene Man. from Tony. <laughs> so the first time I saw it, this whole sequence is when I started really crying. Like this is when the tears finally came. The second time I saw the movie, yeah. I was crying throughout the whole movie. Like I was just a mess the whole time. <laughs> but this first time, specifically the acting that Gwyneth Paltrow gets to do in this scene. She, I loved that when she was just telling him that they'll be okay. You can, oh. you can rest now. And, and the grace of, it just it it rang so true of a loved one of a significant other with all honesty and like love like letting someone go like you know mm-hmm. there, she she wasn't like crying in that moment she wasn't like a sobbing mess she wasn't like screaming no how, why no she was just she's like this is what's happened i love you this is this is the moment. I want to make this la- your last moment as nice as possible for you and not. Yeah. 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 She just like she f- truly fully accepted like that this was the situation and that this was like his destiny. Um, yep. And 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 loved him for like who he was. Mm-hmm. The thing that had tortured him for 11 years. So then at the f- he finally succeeded at. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get a great funeral message that he leaves behind for Morgan. Um, Says, I love you 3000. Which is Um, reminiscent of like his father leaving him a message like from his past. Yes. Um, Yeah. Which he was also, he also kind of tried to do at the beginning of the movie, you know, was like Mm -hmm. leave this final (laughs) message because he thought he was about to go. And then we get to see like a more realized version at the end. Um. I loved everybody at the funeral, just the groups of people that were there. That was, I um, think, you know, my favorite shot of the whole movie. Again, I'm crying because mm-hmm. it's emotional right. and it's a funeral. <laughs> and um, and then to, they really did a very slow pan to make sure you fully got to see every single person's face and like yeah. recognize the groupings and every single person that got to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course... We make it to like the best inclusion for me is the kid from Iron Man 3. <laughs> yep, he's there. I mean, as soon as I saw him, I knew who he was. Yep. And um, again, because I love Iron Man 3 so much, it was like it felt so right. And I remember, you know, watching Iron Man 3 and thinking like, I hope they do something with this kid. One, that kid was great in that movie. Um, yeah. Thinking, like, I hope they do something with this kid in the future. Like, you see him show up at, like, a Stark uh, expo or internship or or mm-hmm. something, you know. And just, But to see him there at this moment, you know, it, it meant a lot. It, it conveyed yeah. that they kept in touch throughout yeah. the years. That, like, he, he was a mentor, not just in that one instance, but probably, like throughout all these years that have they've been through together. Oh, it was cool. Yeah. Um, so then we get Thor handing over the reins to Valkyrie um, and going off to join the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah. Can I really quick talk about my favorite at the... I, I love I love Ty Simpkins uh, being there, but I, I love that we have a shot at that funeral of Jon Favreau as Happy Hogan with 
Tony's uh, daughter. Oh man. Him him talking to Morgan about the hamburgers. It was like <laughs> in universe, one of the most beautiful parts of the movie to me. But then also the extra layer of like, it's all because of you, John. Like you you did yes. like yeah, you did this. He started it. Was just so yeah. nice for me. You yep. started it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he Oof. acted that so well. It he really hurts did. me every time I see him act or direct anything because no one should be able to be as good at both as he yeah. is. Well. Like pick a thing. The Lion King. Uh, well, yeah. Well, it's a different. It's different. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's not out yet. Everybody does money makers every once yeah. in a while. He yeah. really does. One one for them, one for me. He also did Chef, so like he gets his, you know, he gets it in. Um Yeah. Yeah. So then we have that great moment where like Thor bestows the the crown onto mm-hmm. like Valkyrie. Um which this is I think this is where they start to make me excited for all the new things. Like I've I loved loved this, but also just like, all right, well, so what's next for all mm-hmm. these characters? And you get to see Valkyrie take over. You get to see him join the Guardians. And those are both two movies I would love to see. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm very curious whether he actually will stick with the Guardians. Like, I think so, because that is a script that's already written um, and going to be in production. And I think they wouldn't have set him up that way yeah. unless I, I think it's something if they didn't have a Guardians at the Galaxy 3 ready to go. Um, they could have put him with them and just been like, yeah, we'll see what happens. And maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. not. But the fact that the script's already done, I think he's going to be with them. Well, and I'm it makes sense about. because Chris Hemsworth just wants to do comedy. Like he, he is, yeah. he's been yeah. very clear that like, he's only interested in a comedic Thor. And so like being in part of guardians, like makes yeah. all the sense. In the I world. very much agree with um, his feelings. Yeah. <laughs> he also like, I, it also like dawned on me that he really fits in with the guardians now that like all of his family is dead. Like before when in the Thor movies, most of the Thor movies are about him and his family. You know, they're about him and Mm -hmm. other things, but the family is the main drama of them. And now that literally all of his family is dead, um, it makes sense for him to be part of this like group of abandoned orphans. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how that plays out with the, all the talk back in the, you know, back before James Gunn got, fired and then rehired um of him saying that guardians three was going to be all about gamora yeah so i'm interested to see how the possibility of adding thor into that mix plays with whether that's true or not yeah if i had to like i think it still will if be, i had yeah. to like <laughs> make a guess and make a pitch of like what guardians three would be like knowing what what happens at the end of um endgame is that it would flip flop between the Guardians searching for Gamora and doing their own stuff. And then also we see this 2014 Gamora living in the current day and kind of rediscovering herself. And like, so we mm-hmm. see them on two separate journeys that will eventually collide. Um, and so, and, and, and we get to get, kind of meet a new version of Gamora because it's, it's someone who didn't have all the experiences that, that our Gamora had. I like it. We'll see what happens. Um, and then, so we get Steve Rogers. We're, we're here at the um, end. Yep, him. Uh, who? Uh, Hulk's still running yep. the show. Hulk is running there. the time travel. Um, yep. Uh, but he's got Bucky and Sam there with him. He's gonna take the Infinity Stones back and the hammer. I'm yep. assuming. Um, so he goes, puts everything back, doesn't make the jump point, and lives the rest of his life married to Peggy Carter, and then comes back to give Sam the yeah. shield. I really loved how clear they made it 
that Bucky knew he was going to do this, that he like told yeah. Bucky ahead of time. I don't know if he told Bucky, but Bucky I knew. Mean, you'd be, I would guess they had a conversation about it. I, like I didn't get that either. I thought the second he didn't show up, Bucky was no. just like, oh, of course he didn't come back. No, because before he makes the jump, Bucky says to him, um, like, he said, they have that great exchange where he's like, don't do anything I wouldn't do. You're taking all the stupid with me. Call back from the first movie. But then mm-hmm. Bucky says to him, I'm going to miss you. And he says, it's going to be okay. And to me, that makes it clear, oh, like, true. he knows what's about to happen. Because, because like, otherwise be he wouldn't say, seconds. I'm going to miss you. Right. And true. he means, like, true. I'm never going to get to see you at this age again. Like, this is the last time yeah. you and I are going to be this age together and, and go on adventures together. Like, I'm yeah. going to miss that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And then. Still don't think they talked about it. I think you just knew. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then he, and then Steve comes back and. Let me tell you, when he comes back and he's old, I couldn't believe how much I thought he looked like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> like, sitting on the bench. At first, I really thought it was, like, I didn't think it was the Clint actor Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. But I thought it was, like, an older actor that they got that, like, looked like Clint Eastwood. And then it took me a second to realize it was him. Yeah. I thought it looked good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh. Um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and it's really just like a beautiful ending that he didn't die, mm-hmm. that he just chose to like he served his time like tenfold, really. And yeah. he's like, you know, I've decided now I deserve a life and a love, probably a family. Um yeah, and it was just really really beautiful to see someone at, at peace with a life well lived. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time that we've, I mean, this is, I think it's the perfect end for cap yeah. of just like, cause his, his, it's always been about the job. It's always been about duty. And now he finally gets to, gets to rest. And I love, I thought, um, Chris Evans was really good at like his voice acting in that at being old. Yeah. His old man voice. Yes, it was really <laughs> effective mm-hmm. because, yeah, it, it there was such a, a purposeful like slowness to it. And the last shots, them kissing and dancing. Him and Peggy forever. And we can't. I mean, we can if y'all want, but the time, this whole aspect of the time travel, I can't make any sense of it. And I've really tried to, but no. it doesn't really ever all add up. Especially, especially if you think about the horrible mistake they made in Civil War to have him kiss peggy's granddaughter um oh yeah none of it makes any sense and i'm gonna give it to him it doesn't need to make sense it, i all i care about is like truly the emotional journey and the emotional journey makes all the sense in the world um so yep. that's all i really care about but i just feel like it needed to be yep. said that the time travel stuff is a little bit of a mess in this regard gosh i wish you hadn't mentioned that about the granddaughter i completely forgot about that I, I don't think he's kissing his own granddaughter, to be it's, clear. Well, like, it's her, it's her no, niece. No, I know it? that. Her great niece. It's which is not much better. No. Oof. Yeah. What a way to end this. Well, it's just it, <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show you you shouldn't force romantic plot lines that feel forced. Like you shouldn't do that. It, it ends up bad. But um I think it's a beautiful ending. Um Yeah. Should we talk about the I think kind of bizarro credits. Yeah, where they they do the the signatures and then uh, weird shots from other movies. Yeah, well, I didn't mind for the 
for the main Avengers, that sequence with the signatures and, like, their first appearance and then their, like, most recent appearances. Um, I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of cool. But it was really interesting to see all the other minor characters. And, again, like, all the different ways. The orderings and the agent, the way the agents kind of maneuvered who got to be placed where. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's, I, I assumed it would just be, like, the, the original, what is it, five, yeah. six Avengers? How right. many? Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, just just kept going. Yeah. So, And then no post-credits yeah. sequence. I, I really liked the credits. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were really nice. I um, It's interesting because, it, to me, I felt like they were doing, it was like a nice wrap-up. I know that technically Spider-Man Far From Home is the end of Phase 3 for some reason. I'm not so really... Silly. Which makes... <laughs> I'm so curious to see what that movie is about now. Uh, have y'all watched that trailer again since watching this movie? Yes. Oh, no. You know not how since Spider-Man Far From Home looks like this, like, super fun teen summer vacation romp? Yo, yeah. it's really depressing yeah. if you watch it again now. Because, like, instead of it being like, I just want to kind of have, uh, you know, a good time in Europe with my friends. It's like, oh, yeah, no. Peter Parker just watched his father figure die in front of him. And, like... Half right. of his class is already graduated and they have jobs like they're out of college now. And like some people he grew up with are adults for no reason. Like it's really messed up. Well, let me say my biggest question when I left the theater was I think the scene with Ned at the very end is very confusing. Yes. Um, Because I think when you first see that scene, it kind of makes it seem like. Ned didn't get snapped and Peter did and they're like reuniting. Agreed. But that doesn't make any sense because Ned would still not be in high school if that was the case. Um, Right. So I was doing some like Googling to try to figure out like how did this happen? And an uh, unofficial source for one article. So like I don't know who has said this, but the source is saying that while 50% of the universe got snapped... A hundred percent of Peter's friends got snapped. So like, <laughs> what? So like, I think what's going to be the case for Far From Home is that all of Peter's social circle got yeah. snapped, including Ned, which is why they're all still oh in high school. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Definitely. Oh my gosh! So not everyone in Peter's school, but all of the characters we're familiar with. Every character in, far- in, in Homecoming, ex- Homecoming, yeah, except, except Liz. Liz. Liz didn't get snapped somehow because she's done Portal. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So like these, so so that reu- that um, when Pete and Ned reunite, it's just because they both like have been through some crazy stuff, you know, like and they're both coming back into this world. But they haven't. They haven't been through Ned, anything. Ned crazy. just, they just well, and Ned reappeared, and the world is five years different than it was before he left. Went to yes. Sleep. And they probably and and I would imagine that most of the world knows about what happened with the Avengers and like. You yeah. know, this big battle of some sort. And, oh, and, and Ned yeah, knows yeah, that yeah. Peter went through that because they're in, you know. He's the one that got him off the bus true. in the beginning of right. yeah. Infinity War. Man, they they better deal with all of this in, <laughs> in Far From Home. So that's, I am very, very interested in what Far From Home is going to be like in regards to, like, how is this world dealing with the fact that half the population returned? Uh, and it, it, it yeah. is five it is the same age and everyone else is five years older because yeah. someone else pointed out you can make so many interesting films in this universe like there's the guy in the beginning who like started to go on dates with new people 
now his partner is back and he's five years younger. And like, what does that mean for all these relationships? What about these people that like <laughs> found new husbands yeah. and wives or, or had new families and um, all these different things? Like there's a whole TV show on uh, NBC called manifest right. about that exact right. thing. They disappeared for five years. But That's like one group of people. This is going to be like, the whole world like yeah 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 and especially presumably uh, no time passing for the people who were snapped just like right oh, yeah. man brutal i'm telling you watch that trailer again <laughs> yeah i really will i will um, definitely yeah so i'm just i'm really um, excited what? sorry i'm really excited about the specifically captain america and iron man being gone gone because th this is Basically, the reason that I've been so excited about the Marvel movies as like a longtime comics reader is that in the comics, crazy stuff happens all the time. And then we have to put it back because there's not enough people actually reading comics to make money if you change things. So but like <laughs> now I can live in that universe where like there are really consequences sometimes like I want to see what happens when Captain America dies. But forever, let, like really, he's dead now. Instead of, yeah, yeah. In the, Sam's been Captain America in the comics, but then Steve came back to life. So <laughs> he's not anymore. But I want to, yeah, I'm excited about like the living, the idea that this world could keep living for decades and just like. Right. Oh, man. Right. Um, one thing we didn't get to talk about that I really do want us to take note of is all the different like looks that the different characters had in this movie and how that like changed from the very beginning to the five years later. Um, I really want to especially mention one Captain Marvel's haircut because Lucas, you and I talked about like in our review, how I was annoyed with her hair, like being down and like yep. kind of pretty. And we always, we also talked yep. about how like we wanted like a little bit more of a butch Captain Marvel and we got it. And so that was like really exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. I was pumped. I loved it. that yeah. haircut. And, um, and then I really loved, even though it is still like silly as Nat's hair always is kind of silly, I did love <laughs> that it was like her roots growing out and that her hair was really long because yeah. like she hasn't gotten a haircut in five years and she hasn't like. This is the first time we've seen a braid on a. <laughs> yeah. On a, in any of the Marvel movies. Well, Thor has so. had braids, but you know. Well, I mean, sorry. One of the girls <laughs> has not pulled their hair yeah. back. To the world's actually, first like, lady that, for a fight. And... Yeah, that's something that was right. also, I read an interview with, um, oh, uh, Evangeline Lilly, who plays the Wasp. Um, a big important thing to her in the Ant-Man and the Wasp and in this movie is that she pulls uh, yeah. her hair back. Like she wears her that hair in a ponytail. She does pull her hair because back. Because she, the actress yeah. was like, it wouldn't make sense for my character to have beautiful tousled hair when she's putting a helmet on and off and she's fighting. And, yeah. and I really appreciate like making note of common sense, things like that. And yep. that if you're going to have women in fight scenes, then like their wardrobe and their hair needs to make sense for those scenes. Um, and the more we can like do that is, is even better. That is one thing I noticed with Gwyneth Paltrow when she took her helmet off. I was like, oh, so your, your hair is just down. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll give a little bit more leeway for that because she's not like a, a, as like native as a fighter as like all the rest of them are, you know, you know, true. And she's true. like in an Iron Man suit, like 
that I don't know. That one doesn't bother me, I'll say, versus like women who yeah. are like doing hand-to-hand combat with hair in their face. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, as far as the looks go, the thing that was most interesting to me, and I, I don't know why I didn't notice it until this movie, but is since the beginning, they have somehow both become more comfortable not making people look like they did in the comics. And but they've also mm-hmm. been much more comfortable just like letting them look the way they did in the comics, even if it's goofy. Like Captain yeah. America in Infinity War doesn't he's like he uses the helmet less and less throughout the movies. And he has it back on for the last scene of this one. Mm-hmm. But it was very stark the difference to me when we went back to New York and it was like, oh right, that's what his costume used to look like. Because we felt like we had right. to do yeah. the mask thing and <laughs> and like but at the same time, Hawkeye, you start from Clint the first his first appearance, just doesn't look anything like he does in the comics. And now we finally come yeah. to the point where it's like, no, he's like that is a one for one recreation of his Ronin outfit, basically. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. Um those are the big ones for me. Oh, the final thing, here's the last thing that I really want to make sure we talk about is that I'm just gonna say Bradley Cooper continues to be one of the MVPs of this franchise, and he doesn't get enough attention. So true. He's so damn good as Rocket. And he's always been good in all of the movies, but it was really nice to see Rocket get like such a focus and be so like I loved like the character details of Rocket feeling so above all the like humans and their like lack of knowledge of space. <laughs> yeah. Like when he passed yeah. Scott and was like, oh the puppy wants to go to space. Seeing Rocket, who's always been treated as something like small and insignificant, get to treat other people that way. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yes. it's great. And I think there is a there's a tendency to like not understand how difficult voice acting specifically is. Because like yeah. he doesn't have to like be on screen technically, but also he doesn't get to do work with anyone else. He's just like in a small room alone. He's really impressive and it just needs to be said. For sure. Um, oh, there was one other thing. I, this is more of a critique about the marketing of this film. Is that, do y'all remember, uh, there was a controversy about Denai Guerrera being on the poster, but her name not being included on the poster? Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. this? Right. Yeah. And then they eventually changed it so that her name was included. Um, it makes a lot of sense why her name wasn't included now yep. because she is yeah. not in this <laughs> nope. movie. Like she is barely in this movie. Yeah. Um, I just think she should not have been well, on the poster. Here's the thing. Scenario, here's my but... critique is that they put her on the poster and they included her heavily in the press conferences for this movie and all the junkets and all the interviews because they don't have a lot of women in that group and they don't have a lot of people yeah. of color in that group. And so, it's a little shady, I think, to like market her as a major part of this film because you only have like a couple of women and only two black people, including her. And then she's not actually really in the movie like everyone else is. Um, I just I just want to point that out. That's a little bit uh, like not truthful and shady on Disney's part. I also think she was available for the press circuit where most of these other people weren't. (laughs) I I totally understand where you're coming from. She's fantastic. And I want her to get press. You know, I don't want her to be not included, but I just think you're taking advantage of 
using her as a face and using her for this diversity without actually using her talents and giving her that moment to shine in the film, which I just don't think is very fair. I agree. All right. We did it. We did it. Is there anything else Endgame that you have to say before we move on to like two or three minutes of Game of Thrones? Yes. Oh, I mean, I could I could do another three hours, but nothing else (laughs) that is necessary. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> this is a long one, so I thank anyone who's still listening for sticking around for all of this. Um, we have been recording longer than the runtime of Endgame. Yeah, we have. <laughs> all right, where can we find you guys online? You can find me at Twitter at Professor underscore Crow. Josh tweets a lot about wrestling, and I always want to reply to those tweets and be like, remember when you liked movies? Because... That's what your Twitter used to be, I feel like. What we- Wrestling is a movie that never stops. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> um, you can find all of my social accounts at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. You can find us together um, on Twitter at FeelingItPod. You can send us an email at FeelingItPod at gmail.com. We will see you Thanks, later. everyone. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. So, really quickly, um, in case you're new to the podcast or you're new to this segment that we're doing, um, we are going to talk about the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, which was episode three of the current season, with all the spoilers. So, spoilers for Game of Thrones. And the context is that Lucas and Josh watch Game of Thrones and are excited about the last season. I did not watch the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones, although I've gleaned a lot of information um, and I'm jumping in in season eight. So this is where we talk about the episode and I ask Lucas questions. All right, here we go. Okay. Ask away. Um, I guess my one question is, or one of my questions is, the guy with the eye patch that got stabbed a bunch of times and died, so like, yes. what was his deal? Like, <laughs> like, we in episode two we see him kind of like rant about the Lord of Light for a little bit, and Arya seems like annoyed with him, and the Hound seems annoyed with him, and I thought that scene was really boring because I didn't know what he was talking about, <laughs> and so then he's like one of the few like main deaths in the in the episode. Yeah, so I figured he's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah, Beric Dondarrion. He's the only other guy to have been raised from the dead besides Jon oh, okay. Snow. Um, yeah, current He's been raised holder. six Got times uh, by the by the Lord of Light, and um, he is uh I mean that's that's really it. He's just been around a long time, and everybody has interacted with him in, in at some level for the most part. And now he's I mean he he kind of he kind of knew going into this. He's like I am not getting and he will back not again. shut okay. up about his religion. To be fair. He Got will it. not. Yes, correct. Yeah, he. Yeah. Everybody is annoyed with him, and he that he won't shut up. But uh, he gets results. I mean, he keeps coming back. So yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Another death that I was like, this seems significant, but I don't really know who this guy is. Was I guess the first death. The guy that saved Sam and then got stabbed in the face. Yes, the last Lord Commander oh. of the Night's Watch. Um, he was a recruit with John from the very beginning, um, and has kind of been Night's with John this entire journey. And when John left, he he gave everything over to okay. to Gren, and then got yeah. it. Um, I'm trying to think of any other questions I had. How did y'all feel about the episode? What were you What were your thoughts? I, I was just waiting for you to ask if the battle tactics have always been this suspect. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of like leeway for their battle tactics because it just seems like an unwinnable fight. So it is an unwinnable fight, but they went into it very much just unprepared. Yeah. Um, they didn't have a lot of time, Lucas. Uh, they didn't have a lot of time, but they also went into this kind of not expecting um, the Night King to raise right. the dead, um, which he's done before, yeah. and John has been there and seen it's it. Like, and so, like, the fact the that he's like, if you know that he could do this, yeah, it's like everybody gets to the crypts. It's like, and and like from the first time they said that, everybody's been like, what are you doing? Like, this it's like somebody laid out a really great strategy, and then someone else wrote at the top can't do these things (laughs) right exactly so i've but i I think my big problem with this is i fully expected more people to die and i expected them to lose and like the rest of the show is them gonna be like whoever's left on Mm. the run like running down south to cersei kind of a situation um so i was not expecting them to win i'm really glad that they won because then i don't have to see all of that again (laughs) it's done because like i'm way more more interested in like people like killing each other out of like spite or manipulation versus like just being killed by zombies. Yeah. To be fair, I don't watch the walking dead because yeah. it's boring um, when it's just right. killing zombies. So I, I, I agree with you on that front is people, you know, in rooms talking is much more right. interesting. So um, I, one thing I'm very curious about is like now that Arya has like killed the night King, um, like, if she is going to be regarded differently, like, in the realm now. Like, if she's going to become, like, the stuff of legends. That, like, people always kind of, like, re- like regard her as, like, a badass before. Like, but now she's going to be really, like, she's, you know, a legendary figure. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think she will be eventually. Um, the Red Woman did give her that prophecy of, um, what is it? Eyes of brown, eyes of blue, eyes of mm. green. Um, of who... Sh- you know, she'll kill. Um, I don't know who the eyes of Brown are. She's killed a lot of people, I think, with brown eyes so far. Um, but she killed the White Walker with the blue eyes. And then Cersei is the only one that I know with green eyes. So I think she's got some more to do before she becomes a full legend. I think what I mean, though, is like in the very next episode, like as they make their way and they meet, they interact with people like do people like will Danny like start treating her with like a, ne- a new level of respect? Will like Sansa and John like treat her differently? Will you know, like how is this going to affect all of her relationships in the next few episodes? I guess it depends on who knows because the only, I, the only right. people there were her and Bran and Bran's not the most talkative dude. Sure. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I could see her keeping this a little bit of a secret for a while. Um, until it's till she needs to tell it. Um, I don't know if I have any other questions. I think those are my main two. The only other deaths I think I'm I'm pretty familiar with was Theon and Yora and um and then Liana. You pr- you pronounce the J. Jora. It was okay. a fairly safe bet um, to pronounce it not like it's. It was looks yes. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get points for that one. Um, <laughs> definitely yes. I loved Liana's death. That was um, amazing. She's, she's she's been an awesome little character on the show, <laughs> um, just this child warrior, and for her to go out, you know, taking down a giant is pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, here's another question. Do you think, or what is your understanding? Are both dragons alive, or did one of them die? I. That was the other thing. I did not love the geography of this. No, episode. tell me about it. It is. Ugh, it is so confusing and it was also extremely dark. So I 
could see most of did what y'all was watch happening, the preview for the next episode yeah they're, I, I, they're both I, I visible saw... in it yeah so both dragons okay. are back so we're assuming that they're both still alive yes yeah but it it did look like one was. It looked like murdered. all three got murdered at a certain <laughs> point, and then somehow. It really yeah, looked like it's true. Danny's dragon was the one that was getting eaten yeah. up, and that John's dragon yeah. it was the last one standing. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Both dragons, both of the living dragons, are still around in the next okay. episode. So. Um. Yeah, I think all that's right. it. Well, I can't wait to talk about the next well, one. It's so going to be crazy. We'll be back, Lucas, for the finale. Oh, you're right. You're right. No, no, no. No, no. I'm wrong. We'll be back for the fifth episode. And okay. so I'll get to ask yes. all my questions before the finale. It's yeah. going to be fun. 